tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Morning, welcome along to Tip Today, 1800 938 007. That's our free phone number. It won't cost you to make that call. And uh, Leanne is looking after the programme today. Coming up on the show, a local Green Party candidate will talk to us about the upcoming referendums. Is measles outbreak just the beginning? Well, one of our listeners certainly believes that. We have a response to a survey on dog attacks. Controversy once again around politicians going abroad for St. Patrick's Day. We have interior design with uh, Karen Prendergast, our agony aunt, dear Phil, has all of the answers. We'll also be speaking to uh, Labour's youngest local election candidate who will talk to us about his decision to throw his hat in the ring. So all of that and much, much more on the way. You can text and WhatsApp 083 311 You can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Let's have a look at some of the front pages today. The Irish Daily Mail. Their lead story, a Sinn Féin proposal for an amnesty for those who haven't paid their TV licence fee would be a slap in the face to law-abiding citizens, uh, the Taoiseach has said. Now, we're putting it out there to you uh, this morning. How do you feel about that? Because the opposition party will today table a Doyle motion calling on the government to, to abolish the TV licence and replace it instead with direct funding from the exchequer. Do you think that is... Uh, a good idea. And if you have paid your um, TV licence, do you feel it would be a slap in the face to you? Again, 083-311-3311. The Irish Independent, their main story today, sweeteners for groups of public servants that include extra pay hikes and allowances in a proposed new national pay deal will cost an estimated £47 million. And the fine print of the agreement reveals numerous government uh, Commitments to benefit some state employees on top of across-the-board pay rises to the Irish Examiner. And they're telling us that uh, uh, continuing Israeli uh, bombing of uh, Rafah would be a war crime, says the uh, Michal Martin, who has vowed to keep uh, funding the UN Agency for Palestinian Refugees. Also on the Examiner today, there's a genuine risk the state may soon not be able to accommodate women, children and families seeking international protection here and that's due to the repeated arson attacks and that's according to a government source. The Irish Times, again a HSE story, the health service executive is to cut €250 million Euro from spending on outside staffing agencies under plans being considered by health officials and indeed by the government as well. On the Times today, um, we're also reading that more than a fifth of the Earth's migratory species under international protection are threatened with extinction, uh, and that's according to the United Nations assessment there. And finally, on the Times today, there's been a surge in the level of interest expressed in joining the Guardi. 
uh, after the latest recruitment process was opened to candidates above the age of 35 for the very first time. So let's look at what's making headlines today. Do you want to make comment on any of that, particularly on the TB licence issue? 0833113311. Now, the Green Party have been extremely open about their support for the yes vote in the up- upcoming referendums, their yes campaign, with the motto, Value All Families Went Live, on Friday. Here's a little from that. Hello all, I'm advocating a yes-yes vote on the March 8th referendum for a couple of reasons. Uh, Firstly and primarily is that we need this document to represent the society that we live in. It needs refreshing, it needs to represent the type of family makeup that we have in Ireland at the moment. Currently it doesn't. But two particular practical reasons. I've worked all my life in the area of social inclusion and there's two particular groups that this referendum will help by including protections for them uh, in our new constitution. Firstly, that's lone parents, and secondly, it's family carers. Both of them groups will see increased protections and increased recognitions in a revised and refreshed constitution. And that's my main reason for voting yes, yes, this March 8th. Now, Green Party local election candidate Miriam Madigan joins me in the studio. Now, good morning to you, Miriam, and good, nice to see you again. Good morning, Fran. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome indeed. Can you lay out your stall for me in terms of why you personally, while you while you're advocating a yes vote? Well, yes, and in fact, on a personal level, I think it's it's very outdated, the current constitution. And when I looked it up, it, it goes back to the 1930s. So it definitely needs a little bit of updating. Um, and then when you also look back at the... Um, um, Last year, in, 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 well, in 2022, it, it was discovered that 43% of children were born to parents who were not married. So that's a huge percentage of the population. And I think we need to be a lot more inclusive nowadays and not just leave people outside and just say they're not part of society. So I think it's very important to bring that into, into the, in the norm. Um, marriage is, is still very valid, of course it is, but there are lots of other relationships that exist and I think we need to recognise them. It's been said by the former Chief Justice uh, Susan Denham and it's an interesting point uh, saying that Article 41.2 it doesn't assign women to a domestic role it recognises the significant role played by wives and mothers in the home and this recognition and acknowledgement does not exclude women and mothers from other roles and activities. So in other words... It's there plainly at the moment that it doesn't exclude women from doing other things, but it does acknowledge the worth of what they do in the home. Yes, but I I don't think we should really have to say that. How how about if we change that to men and say... uh, about men in the home? We shouldn't even have to say it. It should be a case that... Uh, the, the new text is, is, I think, much better. And, um, you know... Um, Everybody is more accepted now. It's it's open to everybody. Mm. I think that's much better. And how will it benefit a woman's life, do you think, the changes in this? I mean, what will we see by way of benefit here? Well, it's just not defining women and sort of tying them to the kitchen sink anymore. It's 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 just recognising the way we are nowadays. We're, we're a much more developed society and we shouldn't have to define women anywhere in any particular place she should be wherever she wants to be it's same way as men and it's very much having an equality in, in the situation yes but in the past i mean look at we we've had two women presidents we have women leading political parties in this country so it really hasn't held back women has it 
Well, in a way, no, but we, we shouldn't have it. It's, to me, it's, I, I sort of cringe, really, when I look at it. it it's sort of very old-fashioned and outdated. It shouldn't even be in the Constitution. It should be just clear that it can be for men or for women. Hmm. Um, do you have any concern about the, the, the word woman? Uh, being extracted from this in some way. Does, does that concern you, you know, the word woman? No. Mother? Um, Why should it? Because hmm. there are lots of stay-at-home fathers as well, you know. So it, it's it's very much a case of equality, I think. Hmm. Uh, the other thing that's up for uh, a lot of discussion has to be uh, what defines a durable um uh, re- relationship and how do you feel about that? Because that that is certainly uh, um, being discussed quite a lot. What what is a durable relationship? Well, actually, I think it's it's a very good word because durable implies strength. It's it's a strong relationship. It's a committed relationship, and it's something that's stable. Hmm. So uh, we all know of situations where people might be together, maybe they're not married, but they're very committed to each other and they've been together for quite a while. There's no particular length of time that has to be good or bad, but you know that they are together and they may have children or not. So this could apply to a couple who have children or or not, or it could apply to a single parent who has a child. Hmm. So... Those are definitely. But d- d- I heard Pascal Donahue say this. Does it not concern you that it may end up in the courts to define what exactly is a, a durable relationship? It could go to court, but. You know, the whole point of having this in the Constitution really is that people shouldn't have to go to court for every single thing. You know, if if it's in the Constitution that the word durable is there, it implies that there's a relationship that has existed, that is strong, and then you don't have to go to court about it. If you have some other relationship that you want to decide is is durable and you want to take that to court, you can, but you shouldn't have to run to court every Mm. time. But are you not concerned that, I mean, people might want to put forward the notion that a durable relationship is a bigamous relationship, is a throuple, is something no. something other than what we might consider uh, a family? No, it, that, that is actually clearly defined as, as being with two adults. So n- n- more than two adults are not allowed in the Constitution. Mm. So you have no concerns about that? No, no, right. I don't. Okay. Um, the Minister Roderick O'Gorman, he's the department. They've now decided that it would not be in the public interest to publish the minutes of the government's interdepartmental uh, group meetings, which considers the proposed amendments to the Constitution. In other words, I mean, we can only guess here, but contained in those minutes and in those notes would be the cost of this, for example, and maybe some of the concerns put forward by this. Do you, do you not think that we should have access to... To, to those minutes and to those notes? Well, that will probably come about in, in the future. But I think at, at this point, I think it's it's good to focus on just getting this in and done. I, I agree with a yes, yes vote thoroughly. Um, and I think it, get the focus on that, get it sorted, and then we can get down to details as, as time goes by. Right, so you're, you're not concerned about that because, I mean, this would further inform people, Miriam, and uh, certainly from the Irish Times poll, it appears that people are not informed about this. And there was a very interesting line in the Irish Times uh, piece which said that people who are more informed are more inclined to vote no. 
Well, I've actually listened to a Shannad debate on this and it was quite uh, quite good. Uh, it gave lots of different sides of the argument. And um, I think if people listen to that, it was on, the tw I think, the 22nd and 23rd of January um, and they can listen to that on Parliament television. Um, so I, th I think that would be very good um, to listen to. Right. You're not concerned, though, that uh, people are entitled to know what the implications are given uh, the the wider rights for a family reunification for asylum seekers for example and immigrants and again this is uh, of concern uh, to uh, people if we go with a um, a wider I suppose interpretation of what a relationship is what a family is um, we may have more issues with immigration does that? Well we can deal with those as they come up but just at this point we, I think it's very important that we get our constitution modernised and brought up to date and make it more inclusive for the people that are excluded at the moment. What are you hearing? Um, because I know that you're making your way around the country, uh, around the county at the moment you're talking to various people and that. What are you hearing on the doorstep? out there where the Green Party is concerned? Generally, as the Green Party, um, I'm, I'm hearing quite a few things that uh, people like the Green Party and people welcome the referendum as well. Um, and people are very, very receptive. We often talk about things like the environment and biodiversity, um, the cleaning of the town and things like that. Um, it's, it's very interesting and people have been very, very nice and receptive. Right, and where the referendum is concerned, are you, and again, this is reflected in the poll, I mean, are you hearing that an awful lot of people don't fully understand what exactly they're voting for? Well... I've heard a few people actually just didn't even realise about the referendum. So I've, I have a little leaflet here, which is, is useful, and I've been handing this out to people. Um, and other people seem to be quite well informed. So um, it's a little bit of both, actually. Yeah, but do, do you not think that that in itself is a, a cause for concern that people don't even know that this referendum is on the way. Do you not think that's... Well, so, you know, sometimes some people are just really busy. They don't maybe read the papers. They don't listen to the radio. And some of them might just miss things over a, a little period of time. So I think it's my job to get out there and tell people. And there's an increasing amount of information coming out at the moment. So I, I think it over the next couple of weeks, I think it will be very interesting. But if people aren't aware of something that is so important according to your party and according to other uh, government parties and indeed opposition parties as well. Um, is it not the duty of the government to make sure that people are well aware of what's coming up and the importance of that? It is a duty um, in one sense, but it's also people have freedom. You know, they can listen to things if they want. And quite often people just don't want to listen to the news or what's going on necessarily because they have some other things going on in their lives. So there is a freedom involved in what people want to listen to. So mm. you can't get a government to force something down somebody's throat. I wouldn't agree with that. Well, some people would say that that's what's happening where this is concerned because some uh, commentators out there would view this as a unnecessary referendum in the first place. So is it not being forced down people's throats to some degree? No, I, I don't think so. Um, and in, in with respect to unnecessary, this, I think, should have been dealt with many years ago. And I know the whole conversation has been going on since, I think, about 1996. So it's long overdue and it's good that it's being done at this stage. And I think um, we need to just get on with it, get it corrected and make it more modern.
All right, Miriam, good to see you today, and thanks very much indeed for your time. Thank you for coming in to us. Thank you, Fran. And that is Miriam Madigan, who is a Green Party local election candidate, and uh, speaking to us there about uh, the Green Party campaign, which is value all of our families. 1800-938-007. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067-24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now you're very welcome back to Tip Today. One listener says, I hope you have somebody supporting the no side to challenge Miriam Madigan. Well, you obviously... Uh, we're listening to the programme yesterday when we had a representative, Sorka, from the Countess organisation supporting a no vote. Um, OK, lots in on that, including uh, one uh, listener who says, 20 million on a referendum and my disabled son can't get transportation or speech and language. Um, the Greens are living in fairyland, it says here. Um, okay, and lots more coming in on that as well, and we will go back to it, uh, needless to say, uh, over the coming days. Now, after listening to my conversation with uh, Dr. Lambert last week, he's a consultant in infectious diseases, uh, about the current measles outbreak across, across the country. Many people were stunned and rather concerned about his reference to immigration playing into the increase in measles and, indeed, in HIV. Dave joins me now. Dave, good morning to you. What's the story, friend? Um, good to talk to you, Dave. You have a young baby, so you have particular concerns here. Well, he's all up to date with his vaccination, so I'm not too concerned. Yes. You know, um, what does concern me, though, is like uh, globally you're seeing vaccination rates drop in the Western world mm-hmm. because, I mean, like a lot of people would rather um, take their news from social media than from an actual, you know, medical professional, which is kind of saddening really when you think about it yes. um but no but it is i mean like i've i've read stuff about like uh the potential for polio to make to come back mm. y- you know um and it has it has been found in places where you don't want it to be found you know and then you also have the greater movement of people all over the world nowadays which you know i mean if you look at covid look at how quickly that spread around the, the planet you know so it, it is kind of worrying because like people don't realize like Say polio was to make a comeback. We don't like manufacture the polio vaccine anymore on mass either, you know. And it would take a long, long time for us to have enough to vaccinate everybody who needs it. Right, so we're not we're large. not ready for a widespread outbreak of something like polio again. Is that is that what you mean, Dave? Well, well, we should look at look at what happened with COVID. I mean, we were caught with our pants down, you know. And you like you've all these you know various agencies um, like the CDC in America, the WHO. You know, they, they, like, they always try to keep up to date on um, how to deal with a, a potential outbreak or a pandemic. And it all just went up in the air, really, you know. And what's scary is, like, these things, the more we encroach on animal habitats, the more likely these things have the potential to happen. Because most viruses and outbreaks, you know, like pandemics and stuff like the, the Spanish flu was avian flu. A lot of them were zoonautical in their origin, you know. So... Mm-hmm. The more that we encroach on land, uh, you know, for farming and stuff, 
for animals, the, the, the higher the risk of another global pandemic. And I mean, they happen anyway. They happen maybe once or, you know, every generation or that. Mm. It just depends on the severity of the illness. But just what kind of scares me is when you hear people nowadays not bringing their kids. Like if, if you don't want to get COVID vaccine because you don't, you know, you don't think it's been out long enough or, you know, there was a lot of coke and dagger stuff going on about getting people to get it. And then, you know, the state didn't help as well when they said you should treat people with COVID like a pariah yeah, either. Yeah. So I can understand the mistrust there. But when you hear people saying, I'm not getting my child the MMR, or when you hear stupid stuff like, um, oh, I mean, like, it is true. If your child gets a virus, um, they do have a stronger natural immunity. But also, if you want to risk your child yeah, potentially getting viral meningitis and ended up blind or brain damage from having such a severe high temperature for a prolonged period of time. You know, it's it's not as much the COVID side of things. It's the fact that we have vaccinations that have been proven to work. I mean, smallpox is the only virus that has ever truly been eradicated. It only exists in four places on the entire planet. And there's even a debate there that maybe all those samples should be destroyed. You know, and that was, that was due to, like, the largest uh, vaccination campaign the world has ever seen back in the 80s by the WHO. And... Smallpox was a scourge for, what, hundreds, you know, possibly thousands of years. Like, vaccinations, regardless of what, you know, Jenny on Facebook might say about kids with autism, vaccinations are probably one of the the greatest um, discoveries in modern medicine up there with antibiotics, the internet, fire. Yeah, and so I presume it concerns you then that all vaccines are tossed into the same pot then. People who have issues with... Uh, what happened with the COVID vaccines, for instance. I mean, Dr. Lambert made that quite clear in that he said, well, look, the COVID vaccine, uh, what it was was to mitigate symptoms and, uh, you know, maybe make sure that your symptoms weren't as bad as they might be, whereas some of the other vaccines, the ones you're referring to, actually are are, are cures. Well, they they can be preventative, but at the same time, I mean, you need upwards, uh, you know, 90 to 95% to get, you know, what they call herd immunity. And... Like, even, like, I'm not even going to blame this on the pandemic. Even pre-COVID, you were seeing places in America, particularly, where we don't really vaccinate for chickenpox here, but they vaccinate for chickenpox there. And you were seeing massive outbreaks in chickenpox. And, look, a lot of these illnesses, when kids get them, they're fine. That's fair enough. Like, people won't argue with that. Well, when measles used to be rampant here, before we had a vaccination for it, a lot of children did die from it. Mm. And Mm. there's also... Children who go to school who are immunocompromised or for medical reasons, they can't get a vaccination, you know, or they may have a family member who may be receiving treatment for cancer or they may be diabetic or they may be high risk in some way, you know. And it just, if anything, it just makes me sad that people are like, I think this actually makes me mad. A lot of the people who are saying, I will never vaccinate my kids, have all been vaccinated themselves. I had a row with a guy one night who was spitting fire about how vaccines cause autism and it's a plan by one world government and, you know, all this just tinfoil hack crap. But he'd stood on a nail not so long before and went and got a tetanus, not realising the tetanus is a vaccination. Yeah, so, and and uh, tell me this, are you hearing those kind of conversations quite a lot? Uh, 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 a lot, a hell of a lot more than you would once upon a time. You used to hear it at the odd time, but I mean, what really kind of scares me is you hear from very reasonable, mm. intelligent people of sound mind, 
you know, not just your usual kind of, you know, Looney Tune, you know, the Illuminati is real kind of people. I mean, don't get wrong, I love a good conspiracy as much as the next guy, but I also realize that most of it is just absolute bonkers and, you know, it has no basis in the real world. But just <coughs> due to social media, the way the pandemic was handled, the way people were treated if they didn't get the COVID vaccine, it kind of seems to be a perfect storm where we are seeing childhood vaccinations drop, you know? And I mean, we're already looking at a potential future where we may not have antibiotics because of the over uh, prescription of them over the last few decades. So a world without, you know, antibiotics and vaccinations where, mm. you know, a simple preventable illness or a scratch could kill you, it's, it is kind of scary. Like, I'm not going to be all chicken little about it, but, you know, the proof is kind of in the mud. Yeah, you know? but people could be forgiven for being rather concerned about the huge rise in numbers of uh, kids with autism, do you not think, Dave? I mean, because... No, I'm no, I'm sorry. You know, like, I... If, like, this is the thing. People aren't being evil about it. You know what I mean? Like, if you're... Um, if you don't want to get, like, your kid back because you're worried about potential side effects, fine. But I'm sorry, but you start beating the vaccines that cause autism drum. I, I, and I know we say everybody has an opinion. There are some opinions that we just shouldn't listen to. First of all, autism is more genetic. Second of all, if you did the barest bit of looking into it, the reason some people think vaccines cause autism is traits kind of attributed to autism usually only show up or you can only tell that they're there around the same time your kids are getting vaccinated. Plus, um, mm. autism has existed before right, vaccination. But, but, but I, I wasn't making the link there, but I'm just saying that people are concerned about the huge rise in, in numbers, certainly in, in, in the generation past. I mean, when I was going to school, for instance, Dave, and I'm, I'm quite considerably older than you, I would imagine, um, there, there, I, I don't remember instances of, of autism. So certainly in the last 40 years but, or so. I know, but when you were in school, like, I guarantee there was those kids everybody thought were stupid or hyperactive or that lad's dumb, he'll never do that with himself. The reason, like, you know, it's not that, like, cases of autism have risen. It's because we've become better at diagnosing these things. Because, mm. you know, as medical science has progressed, we now have the tools to say, oh, well, this kid who 40 years ago was told he was just stupid and lazy mm. actually has a form of an intellectual disability. Yeah, I, I, I think I think there's an element of that, but it, it, look, it's a much bigger discussion, I'm, I'm sure, than the one we're having here now. But I think there's elements of truth to what you're saying in terms of that people weren't diagnosed in some way. But I don't really genuinely remember the symptoms of autism in that many people that I knew. But but look, you know, it's it's a whole <laughs> other whole other discussion, I would imagine. Um, what do you say to people? I mean, vaccination, as far as you're concerned. Do you, do you question any of it at this point, Dave? I mean, look, when it comes to newer vaccines, yes, obviously, you need like you need to be long-term studies. You know, you need... And I, I know people say, do your research. Doing your research doesn't mean you go on Facebook or the internet and read websites that are trying to sell you homeopathic remedies or, you know, essential oils. You know, research entails... You have a control group that are given a saving solution. Mm. You have the vaccine. You have long-term epidemiological studies done. Up. So, yeah, like if you're like, like I said, with COVID vaccines, um, I, I completely understand. But you have to look at like like 
neither you or I are statisticians. Mm. You know, we could sit there and look at the data. We could make sense of it. You know what I mean? But, like, look at the long-term net benefits. I mean, vaccinations, just societal benefits alone for um, the pressure it takes on the healthcare services to people not missing work, to people not dying, has saved millions upon millions of lives and has probably saved trillions of euros and dollars in the global economy. Like, all that information is there. It's a slog to go through it. And unfortunately, it's hard to, you know, find reliable websites now because there's so much disinformation out there. And, And Dave, can I ask you any concerns? Because one of the most controversial things that Dr. Lambert said to me was that he, he was concerned that immigration was an issue in terms of the, the rise in um, the infections like measles, and indeed he spoke about HIV as well. What about that, and what did you think of that? Yeah, no, I look, it's true too. I mean, and the gas thing about it is, like, we're people living in the, the Western world, you know. We're all entitled in the eyes of you know, people coming from those countries, and we're saying we don't want these life-saving medicines, yet there are our parents coming from countries like that where they were killed to have the vaccinations we have. And yeah, you know what? Inoculate them at the airport. If you're coming into the country from, you know, if you haven't had these shots, one of the first things they should do is give you those shots. And if you don't take the shots, um, sorry, you can't come in. I mean, there are countries, I've had friends who traveled around South America or went to the likes of Vietnam. Mm. They had to be vaccinated for the likes of hepatitis before they were even allowed to get in the plane. I have a friend she works in the prison service. She had to get all the hepatitis vaccinations. You know, so I don't think it's an unrealistic demand. It's interesting. In the meantime, your baby is well and and yes. full, and fully vaccinated, Dave. Yep, he's a perfectly healthy two-year-old little terrorist. Excellent, excellent. Well, I'm yeah. del- I'm delighted to hear it, and much good health to him and to yourselves as well. Thanks for coming on with me, Dave. Thank you. Good morning to you. Eighteen hundred nine three eight double zero seven. The text and WhatsApp is only three three double one double three double one. Fran, isn't it amazing uh, what the government can spend money on? And when it comes to health systems, they're penny pinching. I'd love to know where they find um, the people that think things are wonderful. I think that's making reference to. Uh, what Miriam was saying to me uh, earlier on, that uh, she's out and about at the moment delivering leaflets on behalf of the Green Party. And she said largely she's getting a, a positive response from people. All right, we'll take a break back in just a moment. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call TIP today on 1-800-938-007. Just to remind you again that the Memory Library is being launched by Marguerite Keating uh, today. Uh, She shared her story with us uh, about her journey um, with uh, dementia a couple of weeks ago on uh, the programme and so many people made contact with us afterwards to say how wonderful uh, she is. Now, the library opens at 11 o'clock this morning in Cashel and um, they hope to help as many people as possible uh, this morning and needless to say, Marguerite will be there as well. Still getting reaction to the Green Party candidate 
uh, Miriam Madigan. Uh, Fiona says, hang on, is she actually saying put it through and then deal with the issues afterwards? Uh, was she on the project planning for the children's hospital? Typical of the government, stable door, open, horse bolted and all standing around trying to figure out what went wrong. Well, not just the Green Party, Fiona, because I heard Pascal Donoghue saying that inevitably the notion of durable relationships would end up before the courts. So um, there, um, Mary, or Marie, onto us as well. Good morning, Fran. The lady from the Green Party was fluffy on legal issues and the costs of the changes. Uh, she wants to plough ahead and figure out potential problems afterwards. And then Mary goes on to say, marriage is a legal status that has wide-ranging responsibilities and rights. It's a choice not to marry and to remain in relationships and have children. Durable relationships can be anything you want and would require all sorts of definitions in law. It's a pure waste of time and money. Well, you see, what they would be saying to you is that durable relationships, it's not necessary that it can be anything because it has to go along with the laws of the land, at least that's my understanding of it anyway. A survey done by the Irish Independent this week highlighted that more than 1,500 dog attacks have been reported to the Gardaí in the past two years and local authorities are calling for a clamp down. Mairead Leahy of Aravets in Tipperary Town uh, joins me now. Good morning to you, Mairead. Morning. Good to talk to you today. <coughs> I guess you're not surprised by that figure, or are you? No, no, not at all. And you have to remember that 15, what was it, 1,500 reported. Right. So... How many are happening at home? Small things are happening at home. Or, you know, our family that aren't reporting it, they're just kind of getting on with it or bringing the dog to the vet to be put to sleep. And what are you putting these attacks down to? I mean, is is it down to the responsibility of owners or the irresponsibility of owners? What, what do you put it down to? Um, <clears throat> I think it's maybe lack of knowledge, like in the sense that, not in a, I don't mean it in a bad way, that people maybe take on dogs without realising the full implications um, of the responsibility that goes with it and the temperament that goes with it and the socialisation like you you know you can't just have a dog at home and um, never expose it to different situations and expect it then to respond you know especially I was reading it and it said like that children were mostly attacked mm, under yeah. 14s and mm. um, that to me that's um, a home situation gone wrong, you know, where the dog is expected to tolerate children um, or the dog is expected to put up with a certain amount of behaviour um, from the children um, that there isn't any boundaries set from the start. Um, I don't really believe it's a breed issue um, with the children at, at a certain level, you know, that, that socialisation. That's interesting because, of course, we always associate attacks with certain uh, uh, breeds, Mairead, but yeah. you, you say to me that's not always the case. Well, certain breeds. So if you have your little small, cute Jack Russell or Chihuahua and they take a bite of the kid's hand, um, the damage that they can potentially do to the, to, the, to the child or to the face of a child, compare that to um, the dogs that are listed on our dangerous breed list, like the bullies and the mm. American bulldogs mm. and the staffies and the German shepherds. Like, the you know, the actual damage that those dogs can do is way higher. And when a chihuahua or something tiny like that bites a kid, people kind of don't even really think about it because they might just break the skin or, you know, they mightn't. Whereas if the same bite was got from a big, huge Rottweiler, 
the, the child will end up in hospital. Yeah, and in that particular report on the independence, we saw some of the photographs there, particularly of that young lad from, was it Waterford? Yeah, Wexford, I think it was. And uh, it was just awful. I mean, his face was yeah. completely disfigured because of the... Attack. And, like, it's it's an awful feeling. I actually got bitten myself for the first time there last week. Did and you? Yeah, because yeah. I'm very, very careful with, with them. And, look, this was a, look, this was a situation that, you know, obviously I'm dealing with dogs that are sick and I'm doing things to dogs that they may not particularly like. So, yeah. you know, it's a different situation. But it was my first time ever getting bitten. And, like, you do... I was shook after it and it wasn't even that bad. Now, they broke the skin and my... Oh, there you go. We lost, we lost Maraid there. So, uh, Leanne, you might try and get uh, Maraid back for us uh, just there. Um, yeah, I think I think we've still lost Maraid. Let's see, Maraid, can you hear me? No. So, Leanne, you might try and get her back for me uh, as soon as possible there, and we'll see what the story is. Have you had an experience with a dog? Have you been bitten uh, by a dog? And um, would you just give us your your opinion on that? Of course. Uh, I, I see that in terms of fines and the like in a Tipperary, I think there was only one uh, one person brought up for having a dog that was misbehaving, to say the very least. But it was announced last November that on the spot fines for more serious offences under the Control of Dogs Act uh, would in, uh, result in an increase in the fine from 100 to 300 so, like, you'd wonder, should there be much more than that? And again, we'd love to know how you feel about that, where that is uh, concerned. But uh, owners of dogs on the restricted breed list, they're required to have uh, animals muzzled in public, and the dogs must also be held on a short lead by a person over the age of uh, 16. However, despite the increase in the value of the fines, local authorities have been uh, reporting that they have issues uh, with enforcement due to lack of a dog Warden. So again, we would love to hear from you where that is concerned and how you feel about that. And again, your experiences uh, where that is uh, concerned. Um, all right, then let us uh, move on. And uh, we are going, uh, if you can just let me know where we're going to, Leanne, and I can uh, sort of find it here on my running order. Uh, then uh, lots coming up on the programme for you um, a little later on as well. Uh, but uh, our dear Phil, uh, slot will be uh, coming up uh, too and uh, if you have a problem that you would like Phil to deal with you can email us and that's uh, tiptoday at tipfm.com but if you want to put uh, dear Phil into the subject there I will know um, what the story is John joins me now John good morning to you Morning Fran how are you? Uh, good to talk to you you were listening to uh, Miriam Madigan there John um, what's, what, what is your take on that? I'd be honest with you Fran I'm absolutely livid and cranky uh, the way this thing has been played out. If a referendum is called on any topic, right, it, it should be just the day it should be called for it, right? Send out the booklets or whatever. Now, to me, we really... Does it, look, did you see any marches on the street by women looking for this? No, friend. No, you didn't, because there was no marches on the street. You have the National Women's Council of Ireland, no who are supposed to represent all women, that includes women who work at home and choose to raise a family and take time out of their career. Again, they are promoting one side again. Leo Varadkar had done it the same with the Eighth Amendment. He was out front straight away promoting the sword. He has done it again. He's an absolute disgrace of the Taoiseach. If you call a referendum, let the people decide. Now, to me, there's no need for the bloody thing in the first place, but if you're going to call one, 
Let the people decide. Do not, as a Prime Minister of this country, come on and try and lead the electorate in one way or the other. He's an absolute disgrace. And so is the Minister for Children. But, I mean, if he believes that this is the right thing to do and he's representing his party, and in this case all of the government parties agree and most of the opposition as well, um, is it not his job to put forward, you know, the... Well, well, you see, you, you just hit something there as well, no, most of the opposition. To me, there is no opposition. Do you not because think Sinn so? Because Sinn Féin are lining themselves up, friend. They have diluted completely what they are. They're lining themselves up to go in with either Féin or Fáil Féin again because they won't get the numbers for a, an overall majority. That's not going to happen to the Sinners. So they're going in to meet with Féin or Fáil more than likely they're going with, right? But they're going with one or the other. And they're lining themselves up. They're agreeing with everything that the government has come up with lately. So to me, there is no opposition. But a lot, the, a lot of people pointing to those aren't uh, the article in the Constitution saying it's draconian old stuff, it's sort of pushing the fact that women's place is in the home and all of that. Do you, do you, not, do you not agree with that, John? No, is I that don't. not I, your I, reading I, I, of it? I, I think this is an attack uh, on the family, right? And Why, why do you say that, by the way? Why, why do you I, say I, that? Because I think it's, again, it's a dilution of the family again. They're constantly trying to... If you can undermine the family, you undermine the whole of society. Simple as that. The family are sacred, right? And you have Leo Varadkar and the children's minister who are both involved in, in, in this industry, right? and the whole thing about it, they will never know what it is to have a woman in their life at home taking time out of her career to do one of the most powerful things a, a human being can do is raise a family and take time out maybe for her career. And even if she hasn't got a career, that she's decided, whatever she's doing, work boys, turned across, as the man said, that she's taken time out to do the most valuable work that you can is bring up your family. Any psychologist, child psychologist, will tell your friend that the most formative years of a child are from one to seven years of age. And to have a, a, the mother figure at home, it's an, an, an astounding thing if it can be done. But to me, this is an attack on the family. There's nobody looking but for this. What is your definition of family, John? Uh, you know, is it a family based on marriage, for example? Or, or do you see well, it as broader than that? Well, I, I think, look, mother and father, children, that's the ultimate, right? Now, unfortunately, that can't always be the place. People die, people, those accidents happen and stuff like mm. that. People separate, but even separated people still, like, keep, they look, they, they find ways around that, the whole lot. But to me, like, the, the woman in the home, like, I mean, and the, it's not, the, uh, the other thing didn't mean that a woman was tied or chained to the kitchen sink, right? Mm. It meant that she, her work has been valued at home and, and the upbringing of the future generations of this country. Yes, and staying at home should not be a, a financial burden. I mean, that's that's yeah, sort of exactly. Yeah. And she should not be forced to have to go to work to a cross like I mean. But I mean, to me, it's Leo Varadka is an absolute disgrace. He has done it again. He has come out on one side and he has picked a side and he's promoting a well, side. But is he not and entitled to do that, John? Is he? I don't think he is. I think he should be impartial. I think that when you call a referendum, it should be up to the people right. to decide, but, but how not can the he Prime be, Minister. How can he be impartial if he is actually calling for, for this to happen? Obviously, he believes profoundly that this needs to be changed then. So. But again, as I said, like, who, who, like be, before this was called, you wouldn't get any calls about it. I didn't hear any no. radio station talking about it. No. I mean, so who who actually went looking for this? This is this is the big question mark in my book now. Who went looking for this? Well, and it's going to well, cost to the best of my knowledge, if, if memory serves me correct, I, I think it was part of the Green Party's 
yeah. proposition for government, as far as I know. Yeah, that's it. Here we go again. You see, the tail wagging the dog, isn't it amazing? Uh, the third cog, I mean, they're, they're controlling the government uh, almost. Well, they'll be wiped out the next election anyway. That's a, that's a, that's a given by rural Ireland and urban Ireland, right? But the point being is nobody went looking for this, right? I mean, they decided to, go, to, to push this, right? It's costing 20 million. 20 million, which would build a lot of social houses, our children that are waiting for cams, our spine operations or whatever. 20 million is a lot of money, and it's a bloody waste. Um, the, the major change, and again, this is just my understanding of this, because there's confusion about this online, but the major change in, in the article will no longer say the family is based on marriage, although it will still commit the state to guard marriage with special care. So that is still yeah. going to be in there. Does that make you feel any better about this? Well, you see, like, I mean, this is it. So like, if, if it's still going to be guarded and, and, and protected, why well, you not leave it alone in the first place? Like, again, I will repeat, there was nobody looking for this. The, the society in Ireland was just moving along at a pace, and, like, there was no one saying, well, we have to change this because this is devastating. I mean, what will happen to us? Nobody was looking for us. Yeah, I, I put it to Miriam as well when I was talking to her early on that the, the, the former Chief Justice, Susan Denham, said uh, way back in 2001 that the article we're talking about now, as far as she was concerned at that time, does not assign women to a domestic role. No, it doesn't. It's just acknowledging and respecting the role that women do in the home. And there is nothing wrong with that. Again, I will keep repeating, nobody was looking for this. I saw no marches of thousands of women on the street looking for this. Right. And and what about that notion that Marion brought up as well, that, you know, things are very different now. It could well be a man in the home looking after the, 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 the children. Well, most, most of the childcare involves women. I mean, everybody knows that, let's be honest, because the maternal uh, pool is there all the time. I, I saw a girl in a supermarket the other day, and in between customers there, she took out her phone, and you could see she was looking at the picture of herself and the kids and the husband, right? Because she probably wished... She had enough money to stay at home while they were still young, but she had to go to work. Simple as that. But I mean, like, to and me, do you think a lot of women working would have those feelings, John? Do you oh, think? I think so, Fran. I think I think a hell of a lot, especially when the kids are young, as I said, from the one up to five, six, seven years of age, they would prefer, if it's financially possible, to stay at home. But unfortunately, the cost of living, their own paying rent and paying mortgages and everything else, you know, I mean, and then, and of course, we have the, the crush. People having to pay crash fees, which are again like another mortgage. You know, unfortunately, there's other countries seeking, you know, like Sweden and places that they can see to, to do a better model than, than us. But I mean, to me, I mean, it's an attack on, on, on the family, to me. I mean, and again, I would keep repeating, there was nobody looking for this. What did you make? Michael McDool is, is out very strongly about uh, Roderick O'Gorman and his department deciding that it would not be in the public interest to publish the minutes of the government's interdepartmental group uh, meetings, which considered those proposals that we're talking about. Um, yeah. Um, what, what do you think about that? That should we should we have access? Do you think to all of the information? Oh, I think so. I think so. Of course we should. But here we go again. You see the greens again. I mean to cover up again. I saw Michael McDowell's piece. I can very impressed by him. And he's the same with the hate speech. I mean, he's a problem with that as well. But the thing is that... He was making the point that we're not fully aware of the likely consequences, I suppose, of tax and pension law and uh, some yeah, of the other ramifications yeah, of yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is it. But, I mean, like, well, 
This is why my take on both referendums anyway. The, I think the people are waiting the long grass now, like I mean, there's fair sunburst in the country over a lot of stuff. People, how many people come into the country, the state of the health service, housing, rents, everything, you know, crime, not enough girls in the street. I think this is the first opportunity the people have will have fun of giving the go, the government a black eye. And I think they'll definitely, my reading is they'll definitely lose one, if not both, of the referendums. People will just go out to vote against the government. Just as a protest vote, you're saying? As a protest vote, yeah. yeah, there's, yeah. The, there's, uh, one of our listeners on to say, John, that you're a disgrace, that this is not Leo Radker's fault, this, that other people are pushing for this to happen as well. Well, and, and to me, look, as I said, it, it's, it's, he's repeating what he'd done with the amendment. He came out and picked a side, which was an absolute disgrace. He's doing it again. He should be impartial as the teacher of this country. He should not be promoting a yes vote on any referendum. But how, how can you lead a political party and be impartial? I mean, you have an ideology, haven't you? And... Yeah, of course, but I mean, like, I mean, he can come out and you can look, they came up with what they came up with, and he can call the days, but I don't see, like, what he has to come out Look, it's explained. Yeah, the book that's to come in the door, whatever. People will be aware of it. People, some people will choose not to vote at all. They think it's a waste of blooming time. They won't even go to the polling booth. So I think it'll be a low like turnout, do you, John? I think there'll be very low turnout on this one. I think people have enough fun on their lives. And I think the, the, big, the, the big topic at the moment, and I'm getting it from everyone I speak to, is the, the, the migration, immigration into this country and the, num- the numbers coming in. And I think people, there will be very low turnout. I, that would be my reading of it anyway. Right. And I think the government are going to get a kicking on this. John, good to talk to you today. And thanks for coming yeah. on with me, John. Thank you. You're welcome. Good, Thank good, you. Good morning Thanks. to you. News and information is coming. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today. With Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on. On 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat, and uh, welcome back. Margaret was on to us. Um, and Margaret says that man, and that's referring to John, uh, is talking so much sense. Nobody's looking for this referendum. It would be more in their line to spend our good, hard-earned uh, money on uh, building houses and health services, which is in shambles, says, says Margaret. Well, when you say nobody is looking for the referendum, uh, well, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, Sinn Féin, the Green Party, Labour, Sock Dems, people before Parliament, they, they're all gung-ho where the referendum is concerned, so presumably they're representing their members right across the country as well. So, I mean, if you know of any members of those parties, they're, as I say, they're gung-ho for this. This, So to say that nobody is is wanting it is not, not quite true, uh, I suppose. OK, lots of people on to uh, say how much they agree with uh, John. Brian says your contributor is absolutely correct. The referendum is not needed. In fact, it detracts from a woman's right to be a full-time mother by choice. We do need a referendum, but on different issues. Uh, one is the hate speech legislation. Another is the transfer of powers to the WHO um, regarding health issues and possibly one on immigration. Our opinion is obviously not wanted on these more pressing Issues and it goes on lots uh, more in there. Patrick on to say I'm on board with uh, John's 
thinking. And um, a woman's work in the home was never recognised. She never got a wage. Did everything from cleaning, washing, cooking, paying bills, shopping, giving birth, rearing her children, minding and caring for any elderly persons in the home, as well as attending mass and any school activities. A full-time job, unpaid. And I'd say there are lots of people like your last caller who would love to keep women there in their place as he and others would like them um, where to have them where they belong and uh, not anymore can we make up our minds um, and how we live our lives thank you this is one of our listeners on 083 311 uh, now I was speaking to uh, Mairead Leahy of Aravets earlier on and our, our um, uh, phone line broke down but she is back with me now good morning to Mairead <laughs> Sorry about that. Not at all, not at all. Lovely to have you back with us and thank you because since you spoke to us, I mean, this really has blown up for us and a huge amount okay. of interest in this particular topic. You were talking to me before we finished up about, you know, looking after the dogs properly and having a plan and knowing what you're getting into, Maraid. Yeah, and look, I have to be honest with you, we um, did take a puppy on ourselves this year and um, unfortunately I did have to make a hard decision about our pup um, even though I was going into it with my eyes fully open I was really careful we did have to actually rehome um, our little Molly that we took on um, Why Maraid? Because because she just um, she just wasn't able to cope with my kids okay. <laughs> basically um, okay. and I did everything as good as I could from the start and my children would never have been allowed with them by herself and they would never have nobody would have ever pulled off her nothing like that she was but she just she she snapped at my two-year-old a few times and i i got her for that was stressed like she was perfectly well behaved with everyone else you know she just Mm. couldn't cope and um i did manage to get her into a home with just adults so look it happens to the best of us Mm. um it happens to people going into it in full knowledge you know as well that sometimes particular dogs we could have been that statistic you know we could have been one of those statistics oh my god and can I ask you what breed the dog was Cocker Spaniel wow normally docile normally Um, look they are they're very very they're super intelligent dogs Um, Milo is a Cocker Spaniel cross they're super intelligent they are territorial and I knew all this going into it with her and you know, they do have to have structure and they do need a lot of um, brain work and a lot of stimulation. Like, she came to work with me every day. I had someone walk her during the day. Um, she had all these things in place. I did know going in about the breed. Um, but she just... She she did it two or three times and the last time she kind of went snap at his face. Oh um, so, with me in the room, like, where I was like, no, don't rub her. But she still... So... Um, Look, that's just me being very honest. We could have been yeah, one of those, but yeah. I, I made that decision um, at that point then to try and get her into an adult-only home. And she's living her best life. There's no issues. She just she just was one of those dogs that like couldn't, couldn't really deal with the small children. And I know she was never pulled off. She was never dragged. Her tail was never pulled. Her ears were never pulled. Um, the rule was that they weren't allowed to touch her, basically. <laughs> so what, um, what is it about that dog then? That, I mean, that was... That's a breed. That's a breed issue. Not a breed issue, but that's that's look. That's a temperament issue. Okay. That's just okay. that was unavoidable. And if I had continued to leave her in that situation, normally in the evenings I would have like popped her in her crate for the hour or two when I was getting the boys to bed, where I couldn't supervise fully, and then I'd take her for a walk after that. But that evening she had settled herself on Milo's bed, 
and he just walked over very slowly. Just, just for listeners, Milo is your older dog that you've had. Yeah, Milo's my older years. dog. Yeah. So he, she lay into his bed and he, I was sitting down on the floor reading the story with the kids and Ty got up, walked over very slowly. She was fully awake, went to put his hand down to rub her and she just snapped. She was minding, you know, she was in her, her zone there and she didn't want him coming into it. Um, I just didn't catch him quick enough to stop it. Would you go so far as to say, Mairead, that, you know, dogs and very young children, they, they often don't mix very well? No, no, they don't, um, 100%. And the reason I sort of went with um, getting another dog is because Milo's going on 12 and yes. I kind of wanted them to pick up a little bit on his... You know, I kind of wanted another dog before we would have yeah, to say goodbye yeah, to Milo. And, um, no, I knew, like, obviously... I have young children. Now, she was perfect with my 10-year-old, no issue there, but just, I suppose, the unpredictability of the younger the younger child um, just didn't suit her. And um, but this is the thing with dogs. And, like, she she had an awful lot of care. And, you know, I I went beyond what a lot of people could do. So I, I totally understand families taking them on. And I guess I had that knowledge just to say, at that point being like, look, this isn't going to work for her and if we push her any further, if we do this to her anymore, um, she's she's going to bite someone badly and then I'm in a different situation. So I, I, I could see that. It's very interesting because normally we jump to conclusions when something awful happens and we say, oh, it's down to the ownership not being responsible or that they haven't done the proper training with the dog. But often it's the makeup of the, of the dog and the temperament of the dog, Maureen. Yeah, and I, look, I think it was a personality thing with her. You know, she just wasn't, she just did not, like in that situation, she didn't want him coming near yeah. her on the bed. Yes. Um, competition maybe as well, a little bit, you know, small, you know. Yeah. But it's more just to read what, I'm, what I'd love to get across today. Like we, oh, to be honest, I was heartbroken over it. But, of course, um, yes. Because I just wanted it to work out. But what I'd like to get across, you need to read the subtle signs and you need to take them seriously. If the dog is giving a message that they're not happy, like the little growl, the little snap, the little, you know, like what happened there where I knew she was going to snap at him or I knew she was going to growl, we need to take them into consideration. We need to listen to the dog because if you push them beyond that point, they won't growl anymore. They'll just bite. And then what happens is then it gets reported and people are like, oh, it's so out of the blue. Like she's never done that before. But they're given signs, like, and they're, she was given signs even before she growled, you know, the wheel eye looking at him. Like, I knew it was going to happen. I was like, no, 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 don't rub Molly. She's in, be- she's in her bed. But I wasn't quick enough. But, like, we have to read those subtle signs and we have to take them seriously. We have to listen to them. On on the bigger picture then, when dogs are out and about and for yeah. whatever reason they they decide to attack in some way as well, mm-hmm. what what can we do? About that, because again, often, I mean, okay, let's leave aside those breeds that we were making reference to, yeah. the, the, the particular breeds that, that, you know, people would perceive as being aggressive. Yeah. Um, but sometimes it, it can be the most docile dog, family dog that just, so, you know. A dog that attacks out in the street or out in public, out of nowhere, that has happened before. Like something, you know, that isn't the first time the dog has shown aggression, you right. know, or. Again, it could be the temperament of the dog. Like, are are they asking this dog to be a guard dog at home and then taking it out in the street with no muzzle on? Um, 100% something has... some That dog has given signs before. I, I don't believe that attacks come out of nowhere. And it's the same in the veterinary clinic. You know, the best dog in the veterinary clinic 
will snap at times because we're doing things to them that they don't like doing and you can't 100% trust them in any situation, you know. Um, but the monitoring of it, like the statistics that they were showing and they're saying, oh, there was only X amount of people fined. We just don't have, like the dog wardens are overrun in this country. Like, you know, we have an amazing dog warden in Tipperary, but mm. there's only one for all of Tipperary yeah. as far as I know. And like, how is he supposed to pick up all the stray dogs, deal with all the calls that are coming through and also issue fines to people that aren't following the rules? And, and my understanding is that a warden can only issue a fine if they witness what's going on. Yeah. Isn't, that, isn't that part yeah. of it as well? You know, so... And like, even just down to simple, like, dog fouling, like... Yeah. That's basic dog ownership. We're not talking about dog attacks here. We're talking about basic dog ownerships. And there's no one... Like, you'd imagine yourself if if there was someone out in the streets and 20 people got fined in Tipperary Town in the next three days. That would quickly put a stop to people not picking up dog poop. But there's, there's nobody there to find them or there's nobody, you know, it's very difficult to... And are things getting more? I mean, those stats on 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 attacks are certainly very worrying to me. Are things yeah. getting worse, Mairead, Or I think so. I think the breeding of the bigger breeds is getting worse, and I also think the breeding of the poodle crosses and some of those breeds that we don't consider dangerous breeds, they seem to come with a lot of anxiety and they seem to come with a lot of, you know, um, they don't want to be touched, they don't want to be handled, social kind of anxiety. And they're, I, I'd be more nervous of them now than a Rottweiler, you know, when they come into the clinic. Would the ones you? That are just, uh-huh. Yeah. There's, there, especially those COVID dogs, they're coming on four years old yeah. now. And yeah. if you look at the animal rescues, a lot of those dogs are ending up in, in being rehomed right now because they're four and they're they're not socialised and they're just they're struggling. Um, then we have the bully, the XL bully issue. Um, that England have totally banned them. I don't know if you're aware of that. I don't. I know. I'm not. Is that is that a particular breed of it's dog? It's a big you're... breed of bulldog. Yeah, and in England now, from the I think it was the end of February, they're no longer allowed. You're not allowed to advertise them. You're not allowed to resell them. There's no breeding of them. Um, you have to get a certificate to say um, that you're allowed to continue this dog, that the dog is safe. Otherwise, the dog has to be um, put to sleep. Um, this is going on in England now. There are no, There's a blanket ban on them. All of them have to be neutered um, by the end of February or have a cert to, or, well they have to even if they have the cert they all have to be neutered and they have to have a cert from the vet to say they're neutered and they have to have a cert to say that they're allowed um, own this dog that they're not dangerous or that they're going to follow their um, you know the rules around them but there's no advertising no resale of them you have to put them to sleep my God. Uh, do we need to toughen up our laws here then, do you think? I mean, you know, a 300 think, euro fine is still kind of. Yeah, I just small, think like there's it? no point bringing in. Now, look, maybe I'm wrong, but I just feel there's no point bringing in any more laws unless there's someone there to back to them up. Them, yeah. Do you know? Yeah. Like, even outside the clinic now, the our clinic there, there's a roadway down past us. And. Like you couldn't, you couldn't walk a buggy down it or a wheelchair. It is absolutely covered in dog poo. Like this is on the Limerick you know, Road there in Tipperary Town, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Just you know, it's if the, if those things alone can't be monitored, um, it's going to be very very hard to implement. You know, German shepherds are meant to have muzzles on. You know, all this mm. kind of stuff is meant yeah. to happen, but it's going to be very hard to implement them. Um, I just don't think the manpower is there. All right, uh, Mairead, thank you for your time today. Thank we you. really appreciate it. Thank you and good morning to you. That is Mairead Leahy there, who uh, 
is a vet and the proprietor of Aravets in uh, Tipperary Town. Let's go to Patricia. Uh, good morning to you, Patricia. Hello, friend. Lovely to talk to you today. But tell me about your experience. Well, it's not my first experience, but my recent one was last Sunday. I love to walk in the parks and the hills and all that kind of thing. Yeah. So I always look, I always bring a walking pole with me now because I did get attacked by a dog before. Yes. And I was going up, if you know the park in Portumna, it's an absolutely beautiful park. I do, it's, it's all tracks yes. and trails. Mm. So I left the main park going up towards the golf club to do a circular walk. So I was going up there and there was sort of four ladies coming and there was a dog in between them. Now, I don't know whether the two ladies in front um, were part of the two behind or not, but there was no lead on the dog. So the two first two ladies had sort of passed me. I stood well in to let the other two and the dog go. Mm. And the next thing was the dog just came for me. My God. And what, now, what kind of a dog was it, Patricia? I don't know what breed it was. I'm not that well up in yeah. in dogs, even though I like dogs. Um, it was a sort of the height of a pinter, if you know them gun yes, dogs. Yes, I do indeed, yes. Yeah. But it was brown, completely brown, and I got such a fright, there was a little bit of white on it somewhere, don't ask me where. Hmm. And I only had the stick and I kept swinging it in front of him and he kept barking and he kept coming for me. And the thing was, the two ladies behind, they didn't even call it up. And you think he was belonging to one of those ladies? Well, well, he was, Yeah, he was belonging to the two ladies behind. I don't know if the four ladies were part right, of the okay. same group or not. I think they were, but I couldn't be sure. But did they not go and call him back? or? No, no, they didn't call him back. And you would hear me... Uh, in Boris screaming at this stage. I can understand, yeah. And she had a lead. She took out a lead out of her pocket and then she came down and she put him on a lead. And I said to her, look, I said, I'm terrified of dogs. I said, I was t- attacked before by a dog, I said. And I said, the dog should be on a lead in here. I said, this is a public area. And what did she say and to you? Put, um, I'm sorry. And kept going. But if you didn't have have the stick with you, Patricia? If I didn't have the stick, I don't know where it would have ended up. I'd say my legs, one of them would definitely have got it. Um, I was attacked before by an L station and uh, it wasn't in that particular area. Now, they walk all kinds of dogs in that park in Portumla. There is signage up going into the main park about keeping a dog on a lead. Yes. But it doesn't happen. And I did meet another guy on that day. Which, uh, he had a sheepdog. I know how a sheepdog is on another track. And when I saw him coming, now my stomach was in my heart at this stage. Mm-hmm. And I asked him to call up the dog. Now, he did call up the dog and he put it on a lead. And I said to him, I said, I'm terrified. I said, I told him what happened down further. And he just said to me, oh, well, he says, we, I do this track. He said, because I don't meet anybody on it. Yeah, but did he, did he have the sheepdog on a lead? No, he, but when I asked him to call up the sheepdog, he called it up and then he put it on the lead. Right, okay. And the new thing over there now is, um, if you, I, when I see them because I'm terrified of them, I just shout at them to call back the dog until I pass. And the new thing now is with them, oh, he's a rescue dog. He's a rescue dog. This is the new... I mean, I don't know what they mean by that. Well, because what what do they dog, mean? Sure, that's, that's not an excuse for the behaviour of your dog. You know? Not at all. A rescue dog, you'd be more sure. I mean, they're dogs that come out of a rescue centre yeah. which would be trained. But you're not sure of their background, you know? 
you wouldn't, you would never be sure of their background, really. That would be my opinion, anyway. But you were saying to me, you you actually like dogs. I mean, you don't, but being attacked. I li- yes, yeah, I like dogs if I know the dog. Like, yeah. but if you don't know the dog, you know, you have yeah. to be aware. I mean, I always bring the stick with me now. I was attacked before, not too far from my own house, by a German Shepherd. I came down off this walk onto the road. And this dog, I knew the people. I'm sorry now I didn't report it, but I didn't at the time. Mm. And this dog came out of the gateway. And our friend, I'll never forget the mouth, the mouth of teeth he had and the pink gums and the mouth of teeth. And he came for me and I had the stick and I roared and roared at him and he went back. And the next thing was he came for me again. It's it's It's... It, it's absolutely dreadful when it happens to you, you know. My God, and a and, German shepherd is like a yeah, very intimidating and I kept dog. The stick, yeah. I kept swinging the stick and screaming at him, and he went back again. Then the young lad came out the gate. Well, he was like this, 17 or 18, and he called him back. And at this stage, I was stuck to the road with fright, and all I could think of was just to keep the stick going so he couldn't get in near me. And all the young lad said to me was, he said, weren't you very brave, he said, to stand up to him. Good God almighty. Mind you're very brave, he said, to stand up to him. That's what he said to me. Now, the, the dog is still up there, but he's tied now most of the time. And he used to be tied, but I don't go that way anymore because what, I'm afraid... What needs to, to happen, do you think, Patricia? I mean, if you take the park... You're the law isn't being enforced. Yes. Now, I go to... Um, there's another park that you'll be familiar with, Loch Bora. Mm-hmm. Yes, of course. Down there. And they have a park warden there. Mm. And she does pull people up. Now, I don't know what authority they have, whether they can fine or whether they can, like, take mm. names or what to, what to do. Um, but mm. I was there one day back a few years ago with an incident with someone in a do- with a dog and she gave them a warning because the dog wasn't on the lead. Yes. Well, presumably so, there's bylaws there for, for the park. So well, she, there's bylaws. Yeah. That's what they say, bylaws, but they're not being enforced. Yes. I mean... I met a guy before over there with a big dog in going up to Portumla Castle. And, of course, the dog comes for me, and I'm afraid of dogs. And I asked him to call up the dog. Oh, the dog won't touch you. We're only training him. And I said, this is a public park. Now, this guy, it wasn't a German Shepherd, but it was one of the mother breeds. Yeah. I wouldn't know them. Yeah. But it was a dog that should have been on a muzzle anyway. But, so but he said you... the dog won't touch you. We're training him. But you're by the We're nature training of training him. him, you're not certain how the dog is going to react to somebody. Yeah, and this was in the front lawn of Portumla Castle. The lawn, the first lawn going into Portumla Castle, you know. And what do you do? Like, you can get into consultation with them, but if you do, I'm af- you're afraid now. I mean, uh, the first thing on my mind would be knife crime because there's so many people carrying knives now. I'd be afraid of that. That it's a knife I get, you know, if you take them on, like, you know. That's that's another interesting point. I, uh, are you fearful when you're going out walking now, Patricia? Are you? I would be, yes, a certain amount, but I don't let it hold me back. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, you, you can't tie yourself to a house and be afraid all course, the time. Of course. Um, but I would be aware of them things. Mm. Now, on last Sunday that I did go down, having said that, I met two lovely young fellas off down at the back and had a lovely chat with them. And mm. I met a few people from Lithuania, had a lovely chat with them. Yeah. And so on. And there's another girl I do meet over there now and then, a nice chat with them. 
And it's a pity, like, it has to be ruined by this kind of carry-on. But I presume your advice to people, if you're going out walking, is to carry a stick, Patricia. Make sure and carry a stick wherever you go, because if you're in the middle of a forest, you don't know those people, uh, you don't know when a dog is going to come around the corner and come for you. The people that own them don't seem to take the responsibility of calling them up. And why they're carrying leads and not having them on the dogs, I don't understand. Now, there are some people, I won't, don't want to um, demonise everybody that has a dog. There are somebody, some people, I meet a lot of people mm. that have their dog on leads yeah. or when they see somebody coming, they will put the dog on a lead. Even if they call up the dog and put him on a lead, I wouldn't be um, objecting to it. Yes. But having a dog and letting them come for people and having a lead in your hand and not even calling them up. I mean, I don't know what where people are, what they're thinking of. I really don't know. Right. Well, we wish you, you know? the very best. And uh, thank you for coming on with me, Patricia. And do mind yourself out there anyway, won't you? Oh, well, I'll bring the stick everywhere bring, and I will be bringing it. Um, yes, bring the stick anyway for sure. Thanks. thanks. It, is, it is awful when it happens to you. It, it, just awful. For sure. Okay. Patricia, look after yourself and thank you for coming on with me. Thank you, Dose. Okay, bye-bye thank now. you, friend. Bye-bye. That's uh, Patricia. We'll take a break. Back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Well, it's a conversation that happens uh, this time every single year and uh, the tarnished Jimmy Hall Martin has stated that TD's trips abroad for St. Patrick's Day were completely necessary and he's received quite a large uh, amount of backlash online. Now, if you didn't hear what he said about his own trip, here's just a little reminder. It's a very strong market for us as well and a very strong relationship and a very strong Irish community, both historic and, and a newer community in Canada. But, I mean, at any stage, we can hop over here if, if necessary to meet certain people or, or certain events that can happen. So that could happen in the latter part of the year. And that is the tarnished Jimmy Hall Martin there on his own uh, trip abroad this uh, St. Patrick's uh, celebration. Uh, student and journalist Joe Costigan has been following the story across the various social media platforms and uh, joins me now. Joe, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well, and thanks for coming on with us today, Joe. You have kind of mixed feelings about these trips, I believe. I do, because I think, you know, the argument is being made there by the Taunashia that it's essential. And I think I could maybe understand where he was coming from if the trips were repurposed, particularly the Washington one. I think that's the one that people have the most issues with would be the T-shirt going to Washington. I know the case is being made that it's going to be used as an opportunity to push for a ceasefire Uh, in Gaza with the American administration. But, you know, we have a voice that's really respected internationally when it comes to uh, solving conflicts and peace. And I think that that's one that can be listened to. You know, this image that they're selling of going over to Washington and making that argument, it's all well and good. But if that's what's going to be going on, why is there a need for the pageantry? Why is there a need for, you know, the parties that are going to be going on in the White House with officials who have given pretty much unwavering 
financial and political support to Israel and mm. um, with what's going on in the Gaza Strip at the moment. And the SDLP seems to be the only Irish delegation, north or south, who seem actually committed to using it as a chance for peace talks, you know, and to make that case for a ceasefire. They're not attending any of the celebrations. They're only using it to talk to lawmakers yeah, and it's, it's interesting, Joe. And what do you make of the Sinn Féin stance where they're saying they're going ahead with this even though they're very much coming out there and talking about what's happening in Gaza with great concern. What, what do you make of that? Is there an element of hypocrisy there somewhere? I think that will all depend on what they do when they get there. Because mm. They've really sold it now as using it as an opportunity to talk about peace and to talk about a peace fire. So if they're going over and if they're using it as, you know, a photo op or if they're kind of nearly bowing down to the Americans because, you know, you can't forget that their number one goal is Irish unity. Mm. And to get that respected internationally, they will have to have the Americans on board. There will be a bit of kind of cozying up to them. And I think it poses a much bigger risk for them than it does for the coalition because they've been yeah. such staunch allies of Palestine, whereas no one really expected the government to boycott this. You know, Joe Biden is a huge ally of our government. He's very proud of his Irish roots. He has quite similar politics to Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and the Greeks. So, you know, a boycott on their part was never really going to happen, whereas with Sinn Féin, yes. it was definitely much more of a possibility. And I think that their voter base could have a real problem with that, which, you know, that could be part of the explanation as to why they've sort of slumped in the polls in the last couple of weeks. It's very interesting, but still you'd wonder, I mean, even if Leo Varadkar speaks up when he has that opportunity to speak to Joe Biden, or indeed if Mary Lou does so, I mean, really at the end of the day, these are small voices in the whole geopolitical uh, picture. So what effect would it have, do you think, Joe, if any? I think that, you know, our voice internationally, it may not be the loudest, but when it comes to peace, it is far more respected and far more listened to than a lot of countries of our size. And we're also an EU country. And, you know, Biden is an ally of the EU. He's very supportive of the EU, and he really wants to maintain his close diplomatic ties with the EU as a whole, but also Ireland specifically. So I think if the Irish government were to say, we'll go over, we'll meet with you, and we'll talk about politics, but we cannot engage with this sort of pageantry and this sort of celebration, that might make him sort of wake up and say, hang on, mm. there's a lot of international pressure on me here. But again, I think that that's probably not going to happen. It may have been more likely if Donald Trump were still in power, because I think that disagreeing with Donald Trump was much more popular outside of the US at the time, whereas even though Joe Biden's support of Israel is quite similar, you know, he's really, apart from a kind of quick shake of the head or a slap on the wrist, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, mm. he's not really imposing any sanctions. He's not stopping the aid. Yes, well, he's pushing through, in fact, for, for more uh, money to be spent, is he not, on, on arms and ammunitions and the like. And that, that's fine where the states are concerned. What about some of the more controversial ones, though, in terms of Eamon Ryan going to Brazil, for example, Pascal Donoghue uh, visiting Bulgaria, um, Simon Coveney is heading to India, and uh, Charlie McConnell to Kenya, Ethiopia and South Sudan. You'd wonder about the value of some of those trips, would you not? 100%. I mean, we're talking about huge taxpayer money, a huge amount of taxpayer money being spent on this. And also the carbon emissions. I mean, Eamon Ryan going to Brazil, I mean, the hypocrisy can't really be ignored when he's imposing various measures on the average person, really pushing through the carbon tax, which yeah. hits, you know, the average worker. And then 
he's flying off to Brazil, you know, that's going to rub people the wrong way. And I think those kind of double standards are part of the reason why the Green Party has been obliterated in the polls since going into the current coalition. People aren't blind to their hypocrisy. And I think that his trip to Brazil is just kind of another embodiment of that. I'm sure there are benefits out there, but, you know, as a voter and as a young person, I really struggle to see whether or not the benefits outweigh uh, the negatives. Yeah, and, and you know, I don't have to tell you, Joe, the constant narrative around this is that, you know, the other small countries would, would you know, give anything to have these opportunities globally to be on centre stage for 24 hours. Um, uh, you know, so it, it is useful in its own way. It could be, but I mean, you were talking there about Will anyone actually listen to Leo Varadkar if he makes the case for a ceasefire in Washington? Mm. I would argue that anything we say in Washington will be much more valued than anything we say in Brazil. You know, I don't think that Brazilians are excited that the Irish Minister for Transport is on his way over there for St. Patrick's Day. I don't think they're going to get any great buzz off that, you know what I mean? He is mm. just another minister to them, and I feel like anyone bar the Taoiseach or the Taunashta, I think that their influence internationally would be very, very minimal. And I feel like we'd be better off just avoiding the whole thing. I understand there is an argument for it to be made, and I'm not calling 100% that it has to, that it should definitely be stopped. But, you know, we do need to kind of have a more honest conversation about it rather than just ploughing on year after year despite people having issues with it every single time it happens. Yeah, because uh, as I said at the top of my way of introduction to you, we seem to have this conversation every single time. The other is sort of irony, I suppose, if not hypocrisy, is Eamon Ryan going to Brazil and, you know, with the Mercosur deal on the cards, which will bring, you know, cheap beef into Europe eventually and probably damage our beef market here as well. You'd wonder what his angle is going to be there, and you know what he's going to say about that, for example. Yeah, that's just another one of the questions that's raised by it. I feel like the average person, the average voter, just doesn't fully understand the purpose of what he's going to be doing there, especially when there are kind of very complicated issues like that going on. What's going to be resolved by sending Eamon Ryan over there to talk about it? You know, in a sort of showy way. You know, I don't really think are we going to get to the bottom of problems like that. I really don't mm. think we are, not by doing it this way. Yeah, because I had the same issue last year when he was going to China. I mean, one of the great polluters of uh, of the world. You know, again, it was a strange choice. And in terms of a carbon footprint, it was huge because it's him and his team travelling across the world. Absolutely. And I think that that kind of just, it really sends the message home that we have this discussion, as you said, every year. And yet it goes on every year as if the discussion never happened. You know, nothing changes. They're not really making alterations. They didn't say, OK, we'll cut it down and we'll only send uh, the tallest to Canada and the T-shirt to Washington. They're still sending, you know, the whole cabinet all around the world, despite the fact that a huge amount of the population seems to be very vocal in the fact that they're quite critical of it. Yeah, it's interesting indeed. Before I let you go, Joe, what are you making of uh, American politics at the moment and uh, what's been happening there? Um, you know, it looks like it's going to be a Trump-Biden uh, uh, contest uh, once again, but both guys, God knows, have more than their fair share of issues at uh, the moment. What are you making of it all? I think that it would make me feel quite hopeless if I were an American, to be honest. I think if you look at your ballot paper come November and you're talking about Joe Biden versus Donald Trump again, you're kind of saying, well, hang on, what's the point of democracy here? You know, Donald Trump 
lost an election. Joe Biden has some of the lowest opinion ratings of all time. And yet, they're the only two that people are going to be able to vote for. It would kind of make you think, is this system broken? Do we need to change it? Because their policies, honestly, aren't that different. People seem to have this impression of Joe Biden that he's a man of peace and that he's very level-headed. But it's just because he's quite controlled in what he says and his rhetoric. But, you know, he hasn't really changed the lives of the average American at all, and he really hasn't followed through on any of his promises that he ran on back in 2020. So I think if you were looking into another general election and you had no chance to vote for change in any way, shape or form, you'd feel quite hopeless. And the questions around Biden's uh, abilities at the moment as well, I mean, what about that? Because there's some genuine concerns been uh, uh, emerging out in, in the last while there. Absolutely. I mean, he's asking hundreds of millions of people to vote him into a job that he will see through up until his mid-80s. I mean, that is it's a huge ask, and I feel like criticisms of, you know, his cognitive ability have become much more openly discussed recently. You know, they were always something that Donald Trump and the more kind of hardcore far-right Republicans would talk about, but I feel like it's become so apparent recently in different ways he's misspoken that people are saying, hang on, no, we have to have this conversation. Is he able to do this job for another four years? And quite honestly, I don't think he is able to. I think that his sort of cognitive decline has been quite obvious to a lot of people in the last number of years. And you've seen kind of the Biden administration in the last couple of weeks sort of ramp up ramp up their PR work mm-hmm. towards Kamala Harris. Yeah. And it just sort of posed the question, you know, are they sort of indicating that she is being eyed up to take over um, the main job? And that is a possibility. Or are they just trying to make people comfortable with her as vice president, given the fact that her approval rating is also quite low? Interesting times ahead. Joe, it was a delight. Thank you. I enjoyed the chat. Thanks for coming on with me, Joe. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Frank. Good morning to you. That is a journalist and a student, indeed, uh, Joe Costigan, speaking to us there. We'll take a break back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Now, delighted to be joined in the studio by Karen Prendergast, our interior designer. Good morning to you, Karen. Good morning, friend. And you come bringing gifts as always and wonderful mood boards there. What, what are you highlighting today, Karen? I suppose I'm highlighting the use of colours, um, one or two exterior, interior, how we've got one of the pictures on the mood board, we've painted a bet the same colour as the wood panelling. Um, very dark, isn't Very it? dark, beautiful, very moody, beautiful. beautiful. So it's just, I suppose, I'm highlighting how to use colours yes. and think outside the box. Hmm. And sometimes, as, we, as some of the pictures on the mood boards, classical always works it always always doesn't works. adjust and uh, in particular are you referring there to the wonderful front door with that ornate thing on the top of it and the, I am uh, as you said as you just said I'm sure it's a restored front door beautiful. in very good nick um, 
an old house with, yes. uh, as I said, an old looking front door. Even the rose on the side of the left front door is an old rose. But the colour on the walls of the house, the exterior of the house is Portland Dock. And the colour on the wall, on the door is pink chocolate. Right, again, if it's, people Google those names, the, the, the colours And once up. I leave here, I'll immediately put them up on Facebook and Instagram. What, are, what is the colour on the door? It's called pink chocolate. Oh, right, OK, it doesn't look... But it's stunning. I was just saying to you before we came on, on, um, on live, um, my front door is about three years old, but I'm definitely going to repaint the front of the house and my front door. It's a composite door. I'm going to repaint it and I, I quite like that colour. And and back to the bathroom, it's a standalone type bath, isn't it? Um, but it, it it's painted dark like the, the wood panelling. <coughs> so there's wood panelling um, put on the bottom of the walls. It's wallpapered on top. The wallpaper is just gorgeous. It's kind gorgeous. of gold, is it? Yeah, a yeah. really rich gold with a, a flower on it. And of course, oh, as you so always beautiful. say, when I see the picture, it all looks so good. But the colour of part of the flower goes with the colour of the wood panelling in the bat. So there's a lot of talk gone into that. And the colour on the bat and the wood panelling is called muscle. I speak about that colour quite a bit because it's the in colour for island units in right. kitchens at the moment. What is it? Muscle is, is the a blue. title. But yes. It's a blue, It's a blue. It? Oh, it's right. a blue. Okay. Yeah, it's a blue. Um, that's gorgeous as well. And, yeah. of course, then we have some very neutral and traditional... Um, Pictures on the mood board will say, uh, let me see, the one to the right-hand side of the bet, Fran, is um, a beautiful hallway with a herringbone floor. And the reason I picked that picture was to highlight the herringbone floor. Herringbone floors are really in with the last... Is that real wood? That's real wood. Okay. Now, it comes in a tile effect as well, a ceramic tile, and it's very good. The colour on the wall there is temperance. A great colour, very new, very easy on the eye, goes with a lot of flooring and couches and, and curtains and so forth. But the herringbone floor there was the highlight for me. And yes. of course, the runner up the stairs is gorgeous. And uh, lovely feature of the, the, the cover for the... Um, cover for the radiator. For the radiator yeah. And um, a mirror also there. So yes. a lot a lot going on in that hall, but a very classy hall. And then if we look to the left-hand side of the bat, we have the colour on the wall there is ivory tusk. And they're using that on the wall, but another great colour if somebody's thinking of repainting their kitchen on their kitchen units. Ivory tusk is a beautiful colour. And again, we have a natural colour curtain, natural colour couches. Um, I'm mm. sure we don't see the fireplace, but I'm sure there's a black granite insert on that. And there's the, the reveal of the picture, the outside of the picture, of course, friend, has the black in it, which will oh, pick up yes. on the granite heart as well. The, the, the lovely little side table as well is just perfect. Again, so there, very it? much colour coordinated, not necessarily costing a fortune, but... Yes. Um, is that a tiny little dado rail? Um, it, it's, it's actually... It's... Um, it's panelling on the wall, oh, but it's the kits. Is, yeah. It's the kits that you can buy very cheap, and you have the dado rail, and then you also have the bead above that is around the picture, and you can see the bead below around the table. So those uh, wall panelling kits right. are really popular and at the moment. Is that becoming a thing? Because I see it in the hallway. Huge well, friend at the minute. Oh, is it? Yeah. I'm. I'm um, often on jobs that we use different types of wood panelling and as I said they come in kid form so before it was very expensive to do a room or to do a hallway but now it's more budget friendly it's still not cheap but it's more budget friendly Okay let's have a look at the the bedroom and again we have that sort of effect on the walls haven't we? We have we have um, wood panelling on the walls and the colour that 
the paint is on those walls is wild garlic. Hard to see from the picture, but there's a hint of green in the wild garlic. A beautiful, beautiful, rich colour. And again, the timber floor, the mat, the rug there picks up the colour that is mm. in the room. Um, accessorised with the cushions and the lamp picks up some of that colour as well. So again, accessorised properly within an inch of itself. So is that all back again, that notion of matching? Yeah. Um, I, don't th- I don't think it's ever gone away, but definitely a splash of colour is out there all the time. Yes. Green is green is still very big. <clears throat> grey is fading slightly, but still lots of grey out there. Top, mushroom, cream... Um, a lot of the suites of furniture now in the shops are coming in new for the spring, summer and for this year. Gone back to neutral, big time. All right, and uh, but what's uh, emerging over the last few weeks is what well, the dark colours I think are just gorgeous. You can't... M- muscle, is that what you You can't beat that? them, that's muscle, yeah. Mm. And then we have a kitchen... You We have a kitchen... Um, picture. Yes, there's a, a an photo. island there. And there's an island yeah. there and we also have then the kitchen units on the wall and the island colour is Genesis which is a dark grey. Yes. A great colour. A very popular again in island units. Now I'm surprised you like that because there's an element of clutter there, is there not? There's an element of clutter on the wall but you see for somebody who's doing a lot of cooking or for somebody that doesn't have a lot of top presses like we see in that picture they're going to want to display their Wears. So in some cases, now that wouldn't suit me, as you know, my kitchen is part of my living room, I have a sitting room as well. So I live a lot at the time and I work off my island unit as well sometimes for work if I don't go up to my office desk. So if I had to look at that, it wouldn't suit me. But some people love that look. Mm, Yeah, what I like about that as well is it's intelligent use of an island because you have somewhere to put your legs. Most of the blooming islands, you sit on the stool, but you have nowhere to, you have to sit to one side. Like You You do, and and in this, you do. And also there are stools that they've chosen have no backs on them, so they sit very nicely in under the island unit, friends, so they don't take up any space on the the eye. Also on the right-hand side of that picture, they have double sockets. So really genius. If you if you're starting out, it's great to have some sockets in your island unit. And oh, what in, a great idea! In their yeah. case, they have the sink included in their island as well. So I would say, looking at that picture, it's quite a small kitchen, but they yes. make great use out of the space. Very good indeed. You have some questions, I think. I have. I have some questions, yeah. and maybe just while we're going to the questions, I wanted to talk about some interior colours for yes. timber work, which it would be door curtains and architraves. So two good colours are milk teat and classic white. So um, often people don't want to paint <coughs> excuse me, their timber work white. So milk teeth and classic white, if you Google those, you'll find them great colours for timber work. Maybe if you want to paint your stairs a colour, um, but it's not, it's white, is too white for you. Okay, and some of the other colours you spoke about, ivory tusk was one, as I say, muscle uh, was uh, the other. And what what is that lovely pink that you spoke about on the, yeah, on the doorway? That was pink chocolate. Pink chocolate pink on, chocolate, on, on yeah. the doorway. All right, a couple of questions, if you would. That, uh, I want to paint the interior side of my windows in the house. They're oak, PVC. Can I do this? And, you know, to answer that question, 15, 12, 15, 18, 20 years ago, uh, oak PVC windows came they were the rage. They were, were the they? absolute rage, and every fifth house yeah. has them. So um, yes, they can be painted. It's a little bit of a job to paint windows because you imagine if you open your window, you might have a top open mm. and you have a bottom open. The whole lot of this. 
It's quite intricate, but absolutely can be painted 100% job. So again, it's about cleaning down the windows properly, washing them down, leaving them dry, uh, using, mm. if you're doing it yourself, using proper, you know, good masking tape, masking it off, proper primer, proper mm. undercoat and a proper finish. And is there predictor paint for PVC, Karen? Um, again, there'll be a bin primer suitable okay. for it, but when you go into the shop, you'll need to, there might be four or five different, it's a bin as a product, but there's four or five different um, products in that line and you'll have to check which one is suitable for PVC. But it can be done, very achievable. And on the outside as well, if the proper paint is used, it's just a little bit, it takes a bit of time. All right, okay. Here's a question I'll bet you get a lot. I have a small, narrow hallway how can i brighten it up and give the illusion of more space i would hope uh, to uh, uh, make it look better um, that I, are you asked that all the time all the time yeah and and m- the majority of houses that i go into that are maybe um 20 30 years old light is an issue artificial light and sometimes real light as well so the first thing object would be to check your lighting how many light fittings do you have in there? If it's only one pendant, we'll say when you go in your front door and, for instance, you're in a bungalow and one pendant down the way, you're going to need to change your lighting so as you get sufficient light. You're going to need to place some lamps in there so at night time that you have soft lighting that's that works and you don't need your big lights on. A bright floor, bright coloured floor, whether it's timber or whether it's carpet or whether it's tiles, and also a bright colour on the walls. So and lighting is... And in fact, the hallway that you have here today on the mood board is a perfect example of that, isn't it? Is, it? It's yeah. bright, it's breezy. And it's they've used the mirror in it. Yeah. So yeah. Um, ceiling lighting, make sure it's sufficient enough. You need lamps, placement of a couple of lamps in the hallway, depending on the size, because it could be an upstairs as well. Bright colour on the walls, bright colour on the walls, mirrors as well. All right. Will you have all of this up on your own? Yes, I will. Your own yes, platforms, okay? How can people access that? It's Interior Concepts on Facebook, Instagram. My mobile number is 086 606 9009. That's 086 606 9009. And my website is interiorconcepts.ie. All right, very good. Somebody wondering as well, when you put this up, will you have the names of the paint yes. up as well? You yes. will have all yes. of that there as well. All right, Karen, always good to see you. Thanks very Thank much you. indeed. News and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat, and uh, welcome back to the final hour of uh, Tip Today. Keep those calls coming into us, 1800 938 007. The text to WhatsApp is 083-311-3311. Lots of you uh, reacted to the various different topics we've had on the programme so far today, but I promise you we will go back to all of that. But right now, it's time for this. For every problem, there's a solution. Dear Phil, on Tip Today with Phil Prendergast. How are you, Phil? I'm very well, Fran, and yourself? I love the way off-air you have to listen to my problems. (laughs) (laughs) 
It's the fact that I can sort them out for you, Fran, is everything, really. Well, God knows it needs sorting out. Uh, and, and it's a credit to, indeed, to your intelligence and all that, that you can sort out my problems. Anyway, speaking of problems, Phil, will we go with letter number one? Dear Phil, I joined the Parents' Council at my daughter's school this year, thinking that it would be a good way to meet local people and get involved since I'm new to the area. But I think I made a big mistake. I'm six months into a two-year term and I am completely lost and overwhelmed. We are all given tasks as to who to contact for fundraising or jobs that need doing. And they're all people I don't know. And I feel like I'm irritating everybody by asking them for numbers and who these people are. Not only that, but there seems to be a lot of politics involved. Some parents don't get involved at all and they're not encouraged to get involved. It feels like a big clique. I know you may have that with volunteer organisations, but I'm afraid that because I'm new, that people assume I am now part of the clique when, when I'm clearly not. Should I hold tough and hope it doesn't damage my street cred, or should I give some excuse and step down? I'm finding the whole thing very stressful. I think she actually answers this whole problem herself by the end sentence. I'm finding this whole thing very stressful. I served on a board of management in a very big school, secondary school, and I have to say the way they did things was extraordinarily efficient. There was high competency. There was, um, you know, things that needed to be discussed in camera or, you know, without mm. any access to anybody else were, were done so with with kind of, you know, a lot of decorum and a lot of respect and a lot of really good advice. Um, and you had a list of people and their photograph beside it who would be various, like, leads for doing things like fundraisers, people that needed to, you know, check out the students or maybe do whatever if there was issues in a, within a family and sort of like that. Mm. And, it, and it was, and everybody was under a, a code of conduct that you just didn't discuss things out of place and you had, you know, if you needed to discuss something more privately, it might have been just the people at the top. Um, this girl does seem very, very stressed about this mm. and I think it would be very sensible of her to wait until this two years is up to actually leave it now and maybe in two years time or, or one and a half years time she might be very well ready to go and do something like this to join with a, a, in a system of a school where your child has started is stressful in itself mm. but when she doesn't know the people and there doesn't seem to be a good communication between them. Oh, and that, that's certainly that's the core, evident like, that's here, That's the it? core of this, isn't it? It's, um, yeah. It seems as if she's thrown in there... And, and left to her own devices. Absolutely. Yeah. And there doesn't seem to be that much respect for somebody wanting to help. But I think her own reasons for, for going into it were well-intentioned, mm. but I don't think it was the right thing for her. So mm. she would be better off, because she is very stressed, just saying, look, for now I'm going to step aside... And certainly I will consider this in the future. But right now I'm coping with my child adjusting to school or whatever. Mm. And, uh, you know. But to join a parents' council for friendships and stuff, it, it, it's not ideal, is it's it? Not, you know? It's not ideal because schools, by general, there's a lot of issues that could go on in schools. There's a lot of, and particularly now, there's so many different aspects to people's relationships and mm. school. And you have to have this awareness about drugs. You have to have an awareness 
awareness about all sorts of very complex situations, which will go on and always will go on. But for somebody to join because they wanted to be part of, um, I suppose, a team mm. um, and finding that the people on it I, might be withered from being on it and yeah. want to get off it or just not interested in this new, very enthusiastic person that wants to use it as 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 a, a, a foothold, yes. if you like, for friendship. But, but something you would know greatly about as well, fundraising is a nightmare. Not only is it a nightmare, but I do remember being on other things. I was on a few boards of management and I can tell you that when people would see you coming, there mm. was a time when I said, please don't tell me she's coming again. Yeah, yeah. And, and I can remember one time doing a skydive. Now, Fran. <laughs> Did you really? Oh, my God. And you know what I earned for the charity? 300 euro. For falling out of the sky. For jumping out of a perfectly good airplane. For perfectly good. <laughs> oh, my God. I Never again in all of my life, I could hardly go up in a plane, but I do because I like Lanzarote. <laughs> but <laughs> I can tell you it was serious stuff. Serious stuff. So fundraising is a nightmare and you yeah. need very, very good people at that. And you need lots of different people because you do not want to see the same old faces coming in the door looking for this and that yeah. and the other. Is it not kind of interesting, though, that the newbie coming in the door, they land with the fundraising, which is the dirty job, I but suppose. But it's the job that no one else wants to do, Fran, because people... Look, there's, there's a whole thing where if you're going to be involved in every single thing... Yeah. You're going to get a name for it. That one is involved in... She's in everything bar she's the crew stuck, Christmas. She's stuck in everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's stuck in everything. Or he's stuck in everything, yeah, yeah. you know. But, like, you do need particularly good people that are good at fundraising and have a good asking manner. I hated it. Yeah. Not only did I hate it, I was not good at it because if I could see someone's face glazing over as I approached them, I, I just say, no, I'm only wondering if you're going to the concert <laughs> on Friday night. <laughs> I'm going with myself. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's look, it's very difficult. This lady should definitely step back. I think her reasons for going in there weren't, which the, she certainly didn't do it with an awareness. Mm. And now six months in, she is stressed. Yeah. Get out of it. So, get so out of it. And really it, yeah. think hard and long about what role she wants to play in future. And remember this as well. Not everything mm. is fine, is, is infinite. You can actually say, I'll do this for a year. Yes. Now, if the term is two years, commit to that. But she did this being new to a town. Yes, so of course. So she's, yes. she's not, she hasn't... Well, of course, there's lots of other opportunities to make friends. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Do you know what, Fran? I've had some of my best discussions up in the laundrette, up in Tesco. <laughs> Great, quite lovely, warm spot and you're there waiting for your stuff to dry. <laughs> <laughs> and you could have some great conversation. But anyway, look, that's just been a but little bit facetious. You, you're painting such a picture of you now between jumping out of aeroplanes and your, your, your term up there at the laundrette. And, yeah, Fran. Yeah, it's great, it's great. It's <laughs> tough, tough work. Uh, dear Phil, my partner and I have been together for four years and I'm madly in love with him. We plan to move in together this summer when we're both finished college. But I'm now having major doubts. We had a conversation last week about what we'll miss about college and the great fun that we had. We went to different colleges in different cities but managed to keep our relationship going. I asked him as a joke if he ever cheated on me in college and he said, no, but I did make out with a guy at a party. I was totally shocked. He said that I was shocked and tried to explain that it was at a party. And it was a bit of a laugh and it was no big deal. I asked him how long they kissed for and he said it was 
was only for about five minutes. I'm sorry for laughing. Um, I asked him if he had feelings for the guy and he said he just liked him as a friend. I asked him if he was gay and he said, no, of course not. I don't know what to think. It's completely thrown me for a loop. In my mind, he's obviously, at the very least, bisexual and he cheated on me. But he said because it was another guy and it was just a laugh, then it wasn't cheating. What do you think, Phil? Am I a mug? Look, I don't think she's a mug. And I don't think that she can label someone as being bisexual because they kiss somebody. But I am a little bit astonished that someone could kiss somebody for five, for five minutes. minutes. And not come up for air. I, mean, <laughs> I, I, want, I want to see this lad. <laughs> what lung capacity is he? <laughs> I, I just, look, oh, this has obviously given her time to sort of draw breath and saying, is it really a good idea to go and, and move in with this guy? I don't think it's a, a sackable offence mm. <laughs> because of what he did. But I do think five minutes is a very long... I wonder to see if any concept of how long five minutes is. Yes. It's, it's a long time to be kissing another lad. Yes, if you're um, not gay. If you're not gay. Yes. So, and if he is gay, it's fine. And if he's bisexual, that's also fine. I've no issue with that at all. But I do think it has absolutely, um, I suppose, shattered one of her illusions about a long and happy life together hmm. with this fella. Because her opening line was that um, she absolutely... Uh, madly madly in, love in love with him. Yes. So, um, look, I think it might be time to draw breath, maybe... Don't be rushing into see see how she still feels about what happened, but I don't think she should label him. And maybe he herself and himself need to have a real heart to heart about that. You know, you can joke about something that didn't matter to you and seem very frivolous, and yet that it has a very profound effect on the other partner. Mm. So it look, it's not the end of the world, and I don't think this relationship is by any means over. But I do think that. Mm. Um, it's no harm to kind of draw breath and sort of slow down a bit, maybe. Well, maybe it's an age thing, but I'm more concerned with the notice, uh, with the notion that they've just finished college and immediately they're moving in together. Like, well, they're Again, giving themselves an opportunity to Yeah, to and breathe. I think that could, that might be even part of this. It might be that, yeah. oh, you're sowing a couple of wild oats because now you're going to be forever with this person. Mm. And I, I just be thinking to myself, uh, finishing college, it's, it's the start of a whole other new life and a whole other different different, diverse interests and, you know, maybe don't tie yourself down too soon. You have all of your life, really. And um, the fact that he could be very casual about saying that, sure, I got off with this fella and I kissed him for five minutes. I I don't think if I, as a woman, said that, that I was kissing this one for five... I I couldn't imagine doing it, but Mm. that's... That's just not my thing. Yeah, the, it's interesting. Well, they're together for four years and they're out of college, so they're, they're probably together since late teens, I suppose. Yeah, but you know what? There's a life after college. There's a life after being together with somebody for yeah. a while. There, There is a life. Now, there are people that I've met when they were 14 and 15 and they are still together because they you met your soulmate, mm. which is fantastic. Hmm. But maybe there was a kind of a comfortable feeling about this relationship. And now she is absolutely after getting the fright of her life because she, he's so casual about what happened. So, look, and I think they could take yeah. their time and have a think. Yeah. I don't think, um, you know, I don't think she's a mug. But um, I do think that maybe it's time to, look, have another, take a little break, maybe. Right. And 
Okay, have a discussion with the five-minute kisser. Um, the third letter, dear Phil, my child was involved in the county panel for GAA and was in it for four years. Uh, this year, they were cut from the panel and it came completely out of the blue. They just walked to the car after a training session and told me to drive. I knew something had happened. We got a bit down the road when uh, they completely broke down and said they had been cut. Um, I called the coaches the next day and uh, they just said that they didn't have what it takes to go to the next level and they were sorry, but that's just how it goes. They were very sorry and appreciated uh, the time that we put in uh, to date. I just couldn't believe the finality of it all. My child has been very down since and I'm struggling trying to uh, bring uh, him up again. We knew there was a risk when we got involved, but I just don't know how to deal with it. I just assumed that there might be some aftercare for kids not chosen, but that's obviously not the case. Do I encourage him to go again and keep hopes up or do I discourage him from going again? I've spoken to other parents who went through similar, uh, something similar and everybody seems to react differently. I'm at a loss. Oh my God, I think this is so appalling yes. and I find it very, very hard to see that after four years that somebody in an instant could be cut from something they went to and committed mm. to and probably got involved with all of the fundraising and all the other stuff, the parents in this case, or the the the, um, the family. Um, I, I would not have thought that that would be any sort of a protocol or any way of dealing with somebody that wasn't making the cut, if you like, because the idea that, like, everybody has their strengths and for people that have gone to something for four years and suddenly get dropped from it. That's like just cutting somebody mm. off and, and letting it float off into the sky. But to play devil's advocate, this is a county panel. So I understand is, it's a county panel. This is high level. Yeah, it, it is high level. But to just say to somebody at the end of a training session, oh, hey, lads, you, we're, we're done with you, you're not going to make it, actually. Mm. There surely must be a better system of... I don't know, Phil, because we've heard a lot about this over the last couple of years. You know, this seems to be the way it is. You're just, you're done with. Good luck. I, I think that's because of the, the ages, maybe, of these kids. It's a very, it's to be told you're not good enough. Mm. And maybe sport was your thing. Yeah. And you may not have academic leanings or be good, particularly at certain things. Mm. That's fine and it's accepted. But I think it's like, it's it's very brutal way mm. to tell yeah. kids that, well, lads, you know, four years here and we, we were after indulging you and bringing you along as best we can and you know what, you're really not going to do it. And maybe something like that would be that, oh, we'll, we'll have another team or we'll have a different... I understand it's the county. But, like, it's very brutal. And, and I think for the mental health of young people that this happens to, sure, they must be absolutely shattered, Frank. And, and the wording, Phil, uh, if it is the exact wording of the phone call, they didn't have what it takes to get to the next level. I mean, that's that's very damning, isn't it? Well, it's just... It seems as if it's very sudden because you would imagine that if you have a team and then you have a particular good team of... You know where some people just naturally have it? Mm. Um and, and you have somebody that has the potential to be good, but maybe has a couple of bad turns. Now, that could be because it's 
adolescents or because they're they're at that age where there's a lot of different challenges could be that their educational needs need to be met there could mm. be exams to have to be done it can be that the whole puberty thing is interfering with abilities or whatever it might be and I'm sure the people that are at the head of these training sessions and, and seeing potentials and scouts and all the rest of it would have a very open view of potential and it could be that these kids are quite good but not good enough for the next bit but I'm sure there has to be an easier way of letting someone down mm, and support some Absol- support absolutely place, yeah. rather than just say at the end of the train you can imagine on a dark, dark evening like it is at the moment mm. and it's cold and you're after being somewhere for four years and it's an outing and you go to it and you're engaged with it and you're involved in it and you know you have to train but sometimes people don't might they might not be able to do things as much when they might be going through you don't know what the family situation is you don't know if there's issues within the family relationship you don't know if there's issues with schooling you don't know what it might be but I do think there really is a better way of doing things and to maybe have people sort of semi-prepared for the fact that you might not make this team. I'm, I'm just going mm. to put that there. Um, your training is great, your this is great, your your ability to be in the right place at the right time in the field isn't great. We need to work on that. And, you know, rather than... I realise that's an mm. awful lot of trouble for people who all do this work voluntarily. Of course, right? yes. And the notion of a panel is that I guess that it's replenished every so often. You see, so you're going to have... you're going to People are going to lose out, Phil, you know. Is that no, not the nature of sports? I, and I, and I think it is. Yeah. But I do think that there's a lot more to be taken into consideration, like the age of the young person. Um, if they're going through the whole stages of adolescence and you know what that's like for males and females and males... That want to be females and females that want to be males and bees yeah. and bees and bees. Um, you just have to be very cognizant that there's a lot going on and their confidence can really get an awful knock when they feel they're just oh, yeah. not good enough. And I think that there's a real mental health at, you know, issue that, that supports what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, and I just think it's very... It's a very brutal way to do it. And for them to break down in the car oh, when true. they're away from the field a bit, was, they obviously were holding it together, but very shocked. And like, what do you say to them? What do you say, exactly? Um, if, if people want to share their experiences of, of this issue or anything else that we've been talking about today, we, we'd love to hear from you, by the way. Uh, 083 311 uh, double three, double one. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting. It's I don't really, know how it's really sad. It's really with, sad. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, getting but getting caught. There, from there, there's a story I heard. In fact, earlier on this morning, it involved Camogie. But again, kids being left sit on the bench all of the time, even though they're totally committed and all of that, but not not being taking part in some way. You know, again, it's awful, Fran, because it's like you have somebody and you have bodies there, but those bodies that are sitting there in the cold or the warm yeah. or wherever have thoughts, have hopes, have ambitions, have dreams, have idols, have, you know, the whole sporting, the, the whole mindset in this country is that people will be great at what they do and make a great contribution. There's always going to be people that won't have abilities, Fran. Mm. Always people that won't be good at the gym or on the mm. field or doing various sports. And there are people that are fantastic artists and mm. other people couldn't pick up a sweeping brush. Mm. Well, most mm. people 
Anyway, we won't go to it. It's a different issue. But I, I just think that this is a very brutal way to do things because mm. it appears from the storyteller that this is how it happened. They just yes. suddenly, out of the blue, got told. And I'm not surprised by this because, as I say, over the last couple of years, we've, we've been hearing other stories. And, Fran, uh, would like you that. have people on then that make these decisions and, and they say, well you know, you're not going to have all winners and because we are realists and we know that, but is there an easier way to do this or mm. at least give some sort of an idea that... But see, there's also a school of thought and it's very vocal in recent times. It's all a bunch of snowflakes that we're rearing now and they can't cope with failure and they can't cope with but being you, dropped. You see, Fran, I, I just think as well that we, we kind of seem not maybe to understand that for a lot of people... There's when they're going through the whole puberty thing as well. There's so many bodily changes happening, and there, there's so many emotional changes, and people's confidence can get knocked mm. back. So I don't think that makes somebody a snowflake. I think that makes somebody genuinely who's given four years to go in somewhere with the hope of being eventually be able to be a, a meaningful contributor to a game that they they would at least be let down a little bit easier than the brutality of sort of like okay. a big axe coming down and be good luck. Be before I let you go and we'll be discussing it quite a bit uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow is Valentine's Day. Love is in the air and all that stuff. Um, your thoughts on Valentine's Day? <laughs> you see, Fran, I'm old so I really don't <laughs> care about Valentine's Day at all and um, I think it's an awful lot of hype look maybe it's light in the middle of the dark months mm. and uh, everything is going to be better but it's also Lent so they you know you better now have your hearts th in tomorrow and if you go to get your ashes in the morning make sure that the priest puts them on in a little heart shape because uh, it would be only right to acknowledge the day I think <laughs> Uh, Phil, I did not uh, think that was going to be the answer. But look, thanks very much indeed, Phil. Always a pleasure. Uh, we'll take a break back in a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery's Garage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery's Garage.ie uh, funnily enough, uh, immediately we have reaction to that uh, final letter that uh, Phil had there about uh, the mum who picked up the young lad from GAA and uh, he told her that he was dropped from the panel after four years of commitment and uh, all of that. Listen, says, I've found this quite a lot over the years, Fran. My son was encouraged and messaged constantly over the years to turn up for club training and matches uh, from underage. Uh, he was left sitting on the sidelines and watching players who hardly ever turned up for training um, making it every single game. On one particular occasion, to our expense he travelled two and a half hours from college to be left on the bench and the club knew that he had to travel he almost knew he wasn't the best player and would have no problem saying that but was very much affected by it and the way he was treated 083 311 Legal discussion on tip today is brought to you in association with Lynch Solicitors Clan Mel on the web at lynchsolicitors.ie and at divorceinireland.com and John Lynch is with me in studio and he's disrobing as we speak. <laughs> Just taking off my jacket. It's very warm in here. <laughs> How are you doing, John? I'm good, I'm good. That 
it's funny that I think everybody has a story about those kind of things, sport and when yeah. you were growing up and all that. Were you always a sporty? No. No? Well, no, I'll tell you, my... You know, I think of that because... Um, no, I wasn't, because I, I went on the fags very early and gave them up then when I went to college. But there was a kind of a, a potential... I, play, I played football in primary school and was on the team and whatever. Then I came into secondary school and uh, at that stage I was kind of messing with the fags or whatever. And there used to be a shop, a local shop near the school. I won't mention the school. And they used to be sell, selling single, single fags to you. And it was very, very popular at the time. But um, I went, I played in the first year in school and was captain of one of the teams playing of, and went into second year then and got tried out for the football. And... Um, now, I, it was at a time now where you wouldn't be wearing contact lenses and things like that. Mm, so mm. I was kind of half blind, really, because when I took off the glasses, I couldn't see. So normally I played in the defence because it was easier, took a bit longer to see the ball. But anyway, and in hurling, I think with the hurling, I was always known to be a dirty player. And I my excuse was that I couldn't see them. But anyway... Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. But I got tried out. Uh, uh, went into secretary of whatever, and there was a there was a particular guy involved in the sport, and uh, for whatever reason, he didn't take shine to me, and uh, that was the end of my sporting career because he wouldn't put me on the team. Just because he didn't like you? Uh, just because he didn't like the way I played or whatever. I don't know. Oh. But it, but it was funny. It's like. And years later, I met a teacher who was an exceptional teacher who would have academically helped me. And so there are two examples. But yeah, so my, my, my sporting career, if there is such a thing, uh, I mean, I got, I've always been interested in exercise, mm. uh, particularly when I gave up the fags, because I thought, oh, thanks for the God for that, says you. But yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, no. But I'm sure uh, everybody has stories like that, you know, where you're, you're there and, you know, they, they form two groups and you're going to have two teams and you're there praying you won't be the last guy to be picked, you know, and they pick yeah. all the good guys. And, and what about the effect of that then, uh, John? Let me just to be devil's advocate on it. Does it not teach a bit of resilience, and you know that you have to cope with failure, and life will throw up? Yeah, but you're only a kid, yeah. and it's a bit early to be asking somebody who's thirteen or twelve or thirteen, I think, to have that kind of resilience. Mm. I think, and yeah. I think, funny, I heard an interview by the. Uh, coach for the Irish team, the Irish rugby team, and I thought it was really interesting that he was asked the question, you know, how does, how, you know, what's it like to be telling a, a player that they're not going to make the squad? No, of course, it's not that you're going home like that, that incident that we were talking about, um, you know, which seems very poor mm. management to mm. kind of literally, if 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 it is as as it was set out, but um, but yeah, he was he was asked the question, you know, what's it like to tell one really good player that he's not going to make it, another whatever, and basically the import of what he was saying was that obviously you've got to be sensitive to it and you've got to deliver the message in a way that you're not trying to undermine somebody's self-esteem and. But it's not easy. But at the end of the day, 
they know you're the coach and you've got to make the decision and they, they respect that, which is an interesting thing. But that's, you're talking about, you know, people in their 20s yeah, and onwards and, and professionals as well. Yeah. So, you know, and yeah, yeah it, it is a funny thing because, you know, like, I suppose I, was, I might say that I could have skipped... 10 years of smoking fags if I was playing football mm. and sport is such a an all-embracing thing for kids as they're growing up because you know sport art you know the yeah. kind of the kind of two streams that you can get into music art sport whatever and they're they're hugely beneficial yeah it's a, it's an interesting one i'm just seeing the screen in front of me is is lighting up with with uh, various um, experiences of, of this so i'm sure it's something we will come back to i know it's sort of what is it it's it's uh, a couple of weeks into february but we're, me now. yes i am we're still looking at new <laughs> year's we, resolutions you slagged me the first time i said it and i told you that the, usually we get to april with it but we've only had one go at it and i think it's a bit like uh, there's a book that i always try and give anybody who ever joins the firm actually now that I think if somebody joined last year I must give it to them there was a book by a fellow called Ed Bliss he's an American and it was an it was an American who gave it to me I'd say 30 years ago on time management and one of the things that he talks about I did and I, it struck me when we were talking about it the last time that one of the things that he deals with in the book and it's a really small book but I think it was he, he wrote it in 1950 in the 50s but it, it would still stand up today as far as I'd be concerned but one of the issues that we always have is procrastination mm. and if ever there's something that procrastination applies to it's a will because for whatever reason people just procrastinated they put it aside oh yeah I'll do it no I don't no yeah I'll do it no I won't and I think uh, Ed Bliss's procrastination techniques, one of the ones he talks about, the, which, which always struck on my head, was called the salami technique. What's okay? That? And it's the fact that he's an American, obviously, you'd have to get the Irish equivalent for salami, whatever that is. Luncheon roll. A luncheon roll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but no, not sure. I mean, with the salami, you peel off little bits, you see, and the yes. whole idea of a salami technique is you do it a little by little. And it's like what I was saying to my good wife the other day when I was trying to do a bit of cooking. I decided I'd go back to cooking. You know, we all did it during COVID. And I said to her, and I, I, I told her, I, I actually did some cooking last night. And I said to her, well, I know Wednesday is Valentine's Day, but this is an advance. <laughs> <laughs> I bet that went down extremely well, John, and much appreciated, I would imagine, too. But, so the but, salami effect. But the salami technique is basically, I said to her, well, my first job is to put out all the ingredients because then I don't have to think about what the next step is. So if I start that one, then it's easier to do the next one. That's called the salami technique. Okay. So the first thing you do is lift the phone, ring the solicitor and say, can I have an appointment? And that's, that's the first step. So you're not making the will, you're just making the appointment. Mm. So anyway... I, I thought I'd share that one with very, you. Very good. Okay. So procrastination, <laughs> procrastination needs to be dealt with this yeah, okay. year, doesn't it? Okay. So one of the things, one of the things, you no, know, wills has to be dealt with yes. this week. But the other thing about wills and the other thing about the whole area of wills is it's succession planning, mm. effectively. And one of the areas that I, I have reignited my interest in is the whole tax side of it. Yes. And the whole how important it is and it's funny and as I've often said to you before it's only when you become or get to a certain age 
whatever that age is and I would argue that it could be any age but when you get to a certain age you start to appreciate the importance of succession planning because if you think about it for a second like and it's fairly there's there's fairly a, a number of fairly straightforward kind of succession planning is that you can do and for example just to give you an example is that every year you can give whoever you like you know a certain amount of money without them having to pay any tax on it mm. so you can give three grand a year to anybody you like could be the next door neighbours not the dog or the cat but could be your next door neighbours child it could be your next door neighbour it could be your son it could be your grandson your daughter your granddaughter or whatever your nephew nieces or whatever so it's a very fairly straightforward easy tax planning strategy to release money to somebody without there being any tax implications. And not only are there no tax implications, because the, when I say you also have a thresholds for different types of people that you can give money mm. to. So the, the first thing that you can, and this is another Valentine's one, you can give <laughs> a gift without any limit to your spouse, without attracting any tax. So you can, you can give, it doesn't matter what it is, it doesn't attract any tax if you transfer it to, the, to your spouse. The second thing is if you want to give it to a child, uh, you know, 335,000 is the threshold. And that's a very logical thing to think about for a second because if you're able to give it without any tax implications up to that limit. What that mean that means you can do that at any stage, which releases that amount of money without paying tax. And tax, by the way, is no, no small matter. Uh, the tax that you're talking about is is inheritance tax or gift tax, they call it, capital acquisition tax, if you want to give it its posh name. But basically, it's 33% tax. Wow. So it's a fairly That's significant a lot, amount of tax, yeah. particularly if you've paid a lot of tax in your lifetime, you're kind of thinking, right, here we go again. So they take another chunk off you mm. when you're not able to, to argue the toss. But then you've got your brother, sister, nephew, niece, grandchild, 32,500. And your final one, which is the one can often catch people, is the 16,250, which is the last group. So 16,250 is the, is the max that you can give in that particular threshold. And, you know, it's, you can plan your, you can strategize how mm. you release wealth from one generation to another by using the obvious ones but I mean the, the small gift exemption is which is what that is but the other one is family partnerships or setting up some sort of a structure whereby you move an asset to the next generation and then you trigger at that point in time you trigger the tax so in other words you can kinda, you can manage it mm. as opposed to have a situation where you make a you make a will, don't think about any of the implications, and suddenly you're leaving something that somebody's paying thirty three percent of it back in tax uh, because you don't have the relationship that will get the full threshold. So obviously, from a tax point of view, that makes very good sense. And, uh, do, does this advice, because God knows you need mm, advice around mm, this, does mm. that come from a solicitor or does it come from some sort of financial? Uh, a person or well, I mean, well, in in our case, we have it in our office, as in capital taxes are an area the solicitors yes. have a competence in. Uh, accountants have a competence in it. 
uh, tax advisors. There are specialist tax advisors who have competence in it. Yeah, it's right. a, yeah, it is an area. And, and what happens, John, when like it's your assets that are worth all mm. of the money, as opposed to you having a whole bunch of cash? cash. Yeah. yeah, cash. Well, if you well, that's really why it's so important to plan it because obviously it depends on the asset. Like if it's a liquid asset, like cash, that's an easier one to manage. Yes. But if it's a, f- a fixed asset, as you say, the old one, what is it? Asset rich, cash yeah. poor. Sure, yeah. You know, like so a in lot of farms, I suppose, yeah, will exactly. be in that category. Yeah. Yeah, but and and there are certain exemptions and there are certain reliefs that you have to legislate for when you're doing tax planning, because there's two sides to the equation. There's capital gains tax, because you get hit on both sides. Mm-hmm. You get hit when you transfer the asset. Potentially, I should say, hit probably is a very negative expression to use mm. for tax, is it? But no. anyway, you have to pay, <laughs> you have to pay tax <laughs> on both sides of the equation. So if I release an asset and it has appreciated in value from the date that I bought it and there's an increase, I am liable to tax on that increased amount. Yes. If I give it to somebody free gratis and for nothing or for less than its value, that can carry gift tax and therefore you have to watch the two of them. But an inter- interact- an interesting interaction between capital gains tax, which is the person paying the tax. So let's say I'm doing the will, I'm doing the succession planning and I'm leaving it to son or daughter. We won't say which because they'll have a row. But mm-hmm. let's say I, I pick one, I'm giving it to my daughter. And in that scenario, um, you're looking at a situation where I could potentially have to pay a gift tax or sorry, inherit, uh, sorry, cap gains tax. Mm-hmm. And they might have to pay inheritance tax or gift tax. In that situation, you can have an offset between what I'm paying as gift tax and what they're paying as inheritance tax. You can offset one against the other. So therefore, you play around with you're transferring your assets that up to their threshold amount, that doesn't pay a tax. Then the next time you transfer, you transfer on the basis that there's a CGT offset, so I pay a capital gains tax, and they can offset that capital right. gains tax against the gift tax. So there's, but the, the, message, the message that I'm giving is that, and it's, it's, it's an area, I, you, know, you know well enough from listening to you over the years, there are different areas that I get very interested in. Mm. This is a really interesting area because no matter how, you know, nine times out of ten, you you always have to say to yourself, well, and be aware of the fact that there are implications, and that, and as well as that, of course, your starting point as well, you have got to play, bring into the mix on this is the family, the family dynamics, mm. because obviously, when all is said and done, you might turn around and say, well, okay, you know, so be it. I, I would prefer to just, you know give it to all five of them, even though there are tax implications and maybe, you know, one is more capable of paying the tax and one isn't, whatever. But you have to take into account the family dynamics. And I mean, and the other one that, that, and again, I'm only, you're only kind of scratching the surface on this. But the other one that's always interesting to look at as well is that if you transfer now 
at this point in time you can manage it transferring it in the future is not as easy to manage because you're only you're looking into a crystal ball there could be changes difference in tax rates exemptions could be yeah. changed and all that kind of stuff but at least you can try and manage it even if you have to pay a certain amount of tax you can still manage it but the thing to be careful about of course is that you can't transfer it and pay the tax for them because if you do transfer it and pay the tax for them you're going to be in a situation that effectively you're making a further gift so you can't have that and the other thing and one thing that's kind of uh, again just one other item that comes to mind when you're talking about the small gift exemption and it came very much into the fore in a recent case before the revenue commissioners now what often happens is not often happens but what what can happen is that you have a tax scenario you think you're entitled to get your benefit and the revenue don't agree with you and if they don't agree with you you have a right of appeal from the local revenue office and you appeal to the commissioners, mm. the appeal commissioners and if you're not happy with them you can go to the court and argue the task in the court Yes, but there was a very interesting scenario and I thought it was I'm going to say cleverish but one that you certainly would think of and say to yourself and that is like suddenly let's say you suddenly realise or for whatever reason that uh, your grandson is now 17 or your son is now 17 or whatever and you say oh I could have given him three grand a year or six grand if it's a couple so if it's the husband and wife it could have been six I could have given him six grand a year for the last 18 years six grand by 18 you do the sums it's a nice bit of money mm-hmm. uh, but I didn't so what I'll do is I'll I'll kind of do it retrospectively so I'll just lodge it all to an account and say well look I was entitled to get given six years for the last number of years, so I'm just putting it all into one account. And yeah, I can see you shaking your head. That's not going to work. Yeah, it don't work like that. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta claim it when it's there, and it's a very, very salutary lesson in when you're doing your tax planning. Don't be delaying the inevitable, uh, which is that if you try and plan it into the future, you could walk into yeah. a change in it. And just a very simple one, for yeah. instance. Say you have feck all money, uh, yeah. but but you have you own yeah. a house yeah. and you have two kids, and yeah. you decide, look, I want to leave it to the two of yeah. them. What what is the best way around something? Well, the threshold will kick in there, unless the house is worth what is it three three, three seven hundred. 700 some odd yeah. you don't have to worry about it right. and there are certain exemptions that you can get for Princeton primary but, residents but for instance they'll have to go off and sell it is there any implication then that money's coming in through that fashion if you know what I mean that, that doesn't matter does it no 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 because once they get it what happens is the value crystallises when they get it right. and that determines what exactly they're getting so if the house is over uh, whatever the sum is uh, what is it six 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 hundred seventy thousand. If it's over six hundred seventy thousand, then it's thirty three percent on the balance with a with a number of deductions that you can take off it. But you're in that situation. But you could have one of the children living in the house, and they might be able to get the exemption. But let's assume that they're not. Let's keep it very simple. If it's over that, now the other thing to remember. One of the things to remember, by the way, is if you're concerned about cash flow to the next generation and and their ability to be able to pay the tax you can always take out an insurance policy to actually cover 
the payment of the tax. So if you think there's going to be an anticipated tax bill coming down the line for them and they're not going to be able to afford it. So let's say you've one of the children that has isn't as well off but mm. you want to give them an asset but you think there's likely to be a you can put you can take out what what they call a section policy that'll deliver, deal with it and I think that's important just to bear that in mind but the other the other thing and one that often comes up uh, when people are talking to me is that if you've got a child of special needs somebody who needs to be looked after yes you know, and people say, what's the best way to deal with that? And the second one that people will often ask me, what do I do if I want to look after the grandchildren, but they're underage? Well, those two can be dealt with by ver- by a vehicle called a trust. So you can set up what they call a bear trust for children who are underage. And that bear trust triggers the fact that you can put in your three grand a year because you can't give the child three grand a year, obviously, but you can set up a bear trust that effectively means that you're giving it to them, but somebody's going to hold it for them until they reach age. So that's the way of dealing with that. The other way when you're talking about children is you can uh, with special needs, you can set up what they call a discretionary trust. And that discretionary trust carries exemptions from various uh, liabilities and doesn't attract what they call uh, trust tax, effectively, right. you know. Okay. So that can be, you can you can set up a discretionary trust to deal with that. Very and good. that's one that's commonly asked. So the other resolutions that we should be uh, we're, we're, we're no chance of finishing the other one. The, yeah. the, the other ones we'll cover... The other ones basically is that you look at your family law, you're divorced two years now, and if, you, if you're if you a father, you should be looking to, if you're a father not in wedlock, if that's not too old-fashioned a term, you you uh, you should be looking to have guardianship of the child. That's a relatively straightforward ma- matter to deal with that now at this stage. The other mm-hmm. thing then is if you're buying property, you should always think if you're building a house, you should think of a building agreement in case there's a problem. People often don't. They often bring people on site to do the house and they don't have a contract with the builder to make sure that if a problem arises, that they'll be able to action it, be able to deal with it in some way. The other thing, of course, is that if you're buying property with somebody else, you should make absolutely sure that you have a co-ownership agreement with mm. them just in case. The other thing is if you're going into business with somebody and if you're setting up a company, you should have a shareholders agreement. Again, an agreement. If you're getting married, you can always consider a prenup agreement. Not as um, not an easy one when you're going down on one foot or one knee oh, or yeah. otherwise. <laughs> in this case, <laughs> you might be putting your foot in the door by looking for a prenup. But again, often a situation where people want to protect assets that they do prenups. Um, you know, partnership agreement, if you're going into partnership with, with somebody, um, obviously an enduring power of attorney. If you're looking to, like that that suite of things you're doing when you're doing succession planning, there's your will, there's your, your tax implications, there's your enduring power of attorney in case you lose capacity at, at some stage in the future. Uh, there's also all these the new ones which are the co-decision making mm. agreements that you should be looking at as well. Um, F- family law very much your thing. Will you be keeping a very keen eye on this referendum uh, or referendums that's coming up? Uh, yeah, yeah, very, very I funny, it passed my and I thought that it might be worthwhile us covering it. Mm. Um, I was just wondering particularly about the durable 
uh, relationships. Family, yeah, and, relationship, and yeah. It seems now that really at the end of the day we won't know about that until it's challenged in the or, courts. Yeah, yeah, and the problem, the problem often with these things, if I can just you know make a, a personal observation, and I think I've said this to you uh, when it came up on the any changes to the constitution. The problem with constitutional changes is that our constitution constitution is interpreted by the courts by the Supreme Court and often when you're looking at a, a constitutional interpretation it's down to do, are other areas you know is it actually covered or not covered in the constitution how does one define you know now let's let's be let's be clear about this the Irish Supreme Court has been very very clear from for for an awful long time now on on the definition of family mm. so much so so the Nicolau judgment which was in the 70s uh, if not earlier that judgment was where the father wasn't uh, didn't have any say whatsoever in the adoption process even though he wanted to uh, but it was literally and that was because he didn't come within the definition of the family so you know, there'd been definition of the family in terms of, of the marriage. constitution, yeah, in terms of the marriage, okay, yeah, okay. in terms of marriage. Now, under the constitution, they reckoned he didn't have any constitutional standing. Well, so, yeah, but, but have there not been judgments since, John? Oh, there have, yeah, there there have, but not. But it looked at a more kind of a, a broader, a broader interpretation, interpretation a broader in different contexts. They've they've looked at broader interpretations. Yeah, but I I think the difficulty with it is that. Um, with, like with so many things, is that you go to fix one thing and you create, and you create another, another yeah. problem. And I think um, I think often when we rush, they talk about rushing to judgment on something, yes. that when you're focused on one particular element of it, particularly when it comes to constitutional law, it's very, really difficult. It's like literally, yeah. look, as you say, the ultimate is how will the new terms be 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 interpreted yes. in and, the and does it surprise you that I mean it was Pascal O'Donoghue that I heard say this but does it surprise you that we're talking about an amendment to the constitution and but we're depending on the courts afterwards yeah, after the fact. interpreting it yeah after the is, fact is that unusual or no no it's not unusual it not? no it's not but usually you have it the other way that you in, you introduce legislation yes that is the subject to interpretation but that, in that particular scenario, you can refer the legislation to the Supreme Court before you pass it ah, okay. through the president. Okay, and for that's testing. the problem for testing. It, for yeah. testing. Yeah. And that's the problem is that when you make a constitutional, because it's a, you know, the way the our state is is divided between the executive, you know, the government and yes. the courts yes. and the separation of powers argument, you have to keep them separate, kind of thing. Well, the reason that the legislation is subject to review is for that very reason that the courts are an overseer of the legislation to make sure it complies with the constitution. But when you go in and change the constitution, that is a democratic and uh, it has to be done by referendum. So there isn't any oversight until after the, effect, the fact by the Supreme Court. And Supreme they are then going Supreme, to define yeah. and explain what what does the terms, what does these terms actually mean? And that's where you have a real real um, interesting scenario because <laughs> will yeah. it be what people think it is when they go into that ballot yes. box and vote for it? 
and, and that's the that's the thing. That's isn't the question. It, you know? yeah, that's all the right, question. John. Great to see you as always. And thanks very much. And most interesting as always. Um, that's it for me. Leanne produced. Ali looked after content. Stephen is on the way with the time tunnel, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Look after yourselves. Bye bye. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.